You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back to Jurassic Park, Jurassic World Month on the Oz Network. Uh, the greatest month we've had in 14, 15 months on the Oz Network. But maybe the greatest month we're going to have from this point going forward. Because we're talking about Jurassic Park every single week. And we are up to the third entry, 2001, Jurassic Park 3. And uh, that almost sounds like a joke, but I was just saying to... to Jamie earlier today that normally when we record I'm like oh I'm tired we got to record even if it's a movie I like I'm like we got to record there hasn't been one of these yet because it's Jurassic Park and I love talking about all of them but uh, this one especially as we tease on the end of that last episode I have a bit of a soft spot for so Jurassic Park 3 is up my name is Colin Payton Tile Plus in Westgate <laughs> oh it's funny my name is Ben and here we are in the worst podcast in the world and we're not even getting paid That is the truest statement ever made on the Oz Network. In Westgate. Uh... <laughs> Look, this is seriously one of the most um, uh, excited podcasts I've ever had the pleasure to be on. That sentence didn't really make sense, but that's how excited I am. I can't form sentences anymore i'm so excited to be doing this one because i love all the jurassic park movies and you know you eventually get those movies like we've talked about lost in space is one for both of us where people are like wow that movie is terrible and we're like no we love it we consider it a guilty pleasure uh i don't even consider this a guilty pleasure i'm just like you know go into the movie for what it is and this movie is so much fun and i could watch this movie like every every single day if i had the opportunity um I would do that. I was watching it every single day for a while when it first came out. Like, I absolutely adore this movie. And yet, I completely understand the complaints people have with it. I just think, you know, if you, I don't know, if, if I already said on the last one, if you combine Lost World and Jurassic Park 3, I think you get a perfect sequel. Uh, so this would be a fun one for, for me to cover, at least. And I'm sure you're going to have some good things to say here as well, Ben, but... Why don't you start off just by telling us about your experience with Jurassic Park 3, because we already covered the first two about how obsessed you were with Jurassic Park as a kid. I mean, yeah, this this film, first of all, as I think I said a couple of times, I'm very bipolar on it. Like, one week I'll watch, like, yeah, that's actually so much more entertaining than I thought it was, and like, oh, God, it's got some rubbish moments in it. And I think a lot of this rewatch kind of just comes with everything about this film. It's like there is so much about this film that I, I like and I can look past the criticisms of it, but there's a couple of moments in this film that I just cannot excuse. Um, but, I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's so short and it's got some great stuff in it that, you know, really is a combination of, you know, the books that kind of a lot of the leftover scenes and I'm sure we'll talk a lot about how troubled production this film had and kind of just how everything was thrown together and even the actors didn't know what they were filming while they were doing this movie. But uh, my history of this, I think I, I mentioned briefly last week that I didn't even know this was happening until I saw a poster of it in a, in a cinema. Uh, I, this was what, two, end of 2000, 2001, when, you know, I didn't have the internet at home. I didn't use the internet a whole lot at school at this point. Um, and I just, I just wasn't aware of it. And I think, I don't even know what movie I saw. And then I saw like the coming soon poster for Jurassic Park 3. And I'm like, oh, what? Um, so I was, you know, very excited. And, you know, of course, day one, this came out. I saw it. Day one, it, it was there. I, you know, I was 14. So, I'm pretty sure I enjoyed it. I remember when it came out in DVD, 
uh, I was, you know, day one buying it on DVD. And I remember the the box you got with it, it kind of had two empty slots so you could put in Jurassic Park and, and The Lost World. Because I think I only had the first two on VHS because I'm pretty sure when this came out on DVD, I'd just gotten a DVD player. So I'd only owned like four DVDs. And I'm like, oh, I've already got Jurassic Park and Lost World on VHS. I don't need to buy them on DVD. <laughs> um, so, because I think this was back in that weird phase of DVDs when they would release it at a rental shop and you couldn't buy it for like three months after it was available to rent. I don't know if you had that in Canada. Um, no. So I remember renting this and we used to have a DVD player that connected to the VHS and I tried to record it onto VHS, but that's when they used to have the weird copy protection thing. So like some DVDs yeah. would let you do it, some wouldn't. I had a friend who every DVD would work for him. Like, the fucking asshole. Like, it doesn't matter what copy protection was on it, it worked. And if I wanted to record this video, he charged me because my friend was a dickhead. Uh, I was 14. I was probably on, like, $10 pocket money a week. So, like, he would charge me, like, $30. And I'd have to buy the VHS tape. So, fuck you, Trent, if you ever listen to this. So, I decided to record this myself with all the copy-protected lines in it, just so I could watch it. It was very unwatchable, people. But uh, so when I eventually got it on DVD, I remember it was it was Easter, because I remember I, I was staying at my grandma's. She was, like, babysitting me and my sister for the weekend. And I remember, like, Nan, Nan, we've got to go and get this. It's out today. It's out today. Oh, we'll be, no, Nan, we need to get it now. Um, and I don't think my Nan had a DVD player, because she's my grandma. She's old. But then, like, I brought my, I think it was a PlayStation 2 I had over purely so I could watch this. Uh, so, I mean, I was still excited as much. I mean, I'm always going to be excited with any Jurassic Park sequel. Uh, but I, I will say that I probably have easily watched this the least out of the first three. I mean, I've watched this a lot more than I've watched Jurassic World. Um, but, I mean, I still, I think I there was, like, merchandise around it. I think maybe there was a couple of books mm. I bought and, like, a couple of the figurines and... You know, I, I like the fact that they go out of their way to stand on their own as much. Like, I don't think we've really mentioned it too much. Each Jurassic Park movie is kind of the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they've kind of all got the same plot. And, you know, this is no exception. But I still like the way that they kind of go out in their own two legs. Like, this is a standalone film and the fact that this is the one with the Spinosaurus in it. Like, you know, it's it's kind of yeah. straight away. You know, this is the one with the Pterodons in it. You know, it's kind of... It does enough that you know this is its own unique beast. But at the same time, like, I think I mentioned as well last week that, you know, the first two feel like Jurassic Park. Jurassic World setting its own. This is the one out of all of the films that you can kind of skip this. You don't have to watch this for canon purposes. Yeah. But having said that, there is a lot to this film, which uh, I've discovered during the week in finding a YouTube channel and some other things that I've been reading, that there's a lot more to this being canon than I think people also realise as well. But uh, it's fun. It's got its moments. It suck. But I'm not going to absolutely hate on this film like a lot of Jurassic Park film fans do. But I feel there are going to be moments in this film where I'm not going to defend where maybe you will. Alan! I don't know. <laughs> if you defend that, I'm done. I'm off. I'm. All, I'm all, I don't. Have much, I, I just have an argument against other scenes being worse. That's what I have. Oh. <laughs> but I. Well, wait till we get there. It'll be fun. But uh, I mean, for me, I. I think I probably had a little more knowledge of this before it came out. I mean, it was early in me having the internet around 2000, I guess. Uh, the first thing I really remember, I don't remember when I first heard about Jurassic Park 3. I probably just heard Sam Neill's coming back, and that was like, this is this is what I'm excited about. 
But uh, I think it was the summer of 2000 when they released Jurassic Park and Lost World on DVD for the first time. It was like a two-disc set. And I rushed out to get that. And one of the reasons was because they said the very first teaser trailer for Jurassic Park 3 will be included. Now, obviously, the movie hadn't even started filming at this point. So it was not going to be a real teaser trailer. But still, I was willing to you know, pay all the money I had to get Jurassic Park and Lost World, not just to get them on DVD, but also to see that. And that was the first thing I did before I watched Jurassic Park or The Lost World on DVD or any of the features. I watched that teaser for Jurassic Park 3, which had nothing to do with the movie. It literally was just a shot of, you know, jungle. And then all of a sudden, like, the Jurassic Park 3 logo comes up and you hear a dinosaur scream. And I remember my brother watching with me and was like, well, that was pointless. And I'm like, yeah! (laughs) (laughs) And it is, like, the ultimate teaser teaser. Like, it basically was an animated logo, and that got me excited. But, I mean, as the movie got closer and it started to see him more, I mean, I just remember this being a movie that it didn't matter to me what it was about. You know, with The Lost World, I was cur- I would have seen it anyways, but I was curious, what is this movie about? What makes this interesting? Jurassic Park 3, I didn't care. It was just, it's another Jurassic Park movie. I'm going to love it. Uh, I was there opening day. I was there opening showing, too. It was like uh, the, the first matinee they had, because this is before like even midnight shows started becoming a thing here. And one of the reasons I really remember this vividly is because I can count on one hand the amount of movies that, uh, my mom actually went to with any of us. Like it was usually give us money, we could go to the movies on our own. Like I remember seeing The Land Before Time with her when we were Aww, little kids. There's introduction to dinosaurs. Uh, the Star Wars episodes one, two, and three she went to with us, and then Jurassic Park three. And it, that that was probably the only time I could remember actually going to a movie with my mom that wasn't just well everybody's going because she uh, loved Sam Neill that much. It wasn't Jurassic Park. Like, she loved Jurassic Park. But, like, she had no interest in The Lost World when it came out. My mom, from, like, the youngest age, like, before I was born, was obsessed with Sam Neill. Because I think going back to The Omen 3, uh, which was, I guess, his big breakthrough movie, like, my mom was in love. Like, as far as my mom was concerned, there were three men on the planet that, you know, uh, that that was, like, her hall pass, no matter who she was with or who she was married to. She's like, I got George Clooney, I got Sam Neill, and I got Eric Bana. And those were her <laughs> three guys. So Sam Neill sold my mom That's on good paying trio. to see this. For sure. It's a great trio, yeah. I'm sure that you're proud as an Australian to have uh, some Australian representation in there as well. But, yeah, I remember seeing this, the first, the, the first showing here, and... I think my first impression of the movie was just that was a lot of fun. And it was definitely different than the other Jurassic Park movies. But for what a lot of people complain about this missing the science and missing the story and just being, you know, a nonstop 80 minute action monster movie, that's what I appreciated from the beginning. And it was funny, as soon as it came out, you just saw those split reviews. And we'll get to that on the end where half the critics are like, this is just a dumb monster movie. This is not Jurassic Park. And the other critics are like, it's just a dumb monster movie and it's fun. And I kind of saw it as fun. And believe it or not, I actually saw this six times when it was in the theater. I think part of that was, again, when we get to the end of this, how bad the summer of 2001 was. (laughs) Uh, You know, 2001 in general is just a lot of disappointing movies. But this was one that I just enjoyed enough. And then it was short. And once it played at, like, the cheaper second-run theaters, you know, after it had been out two or three months, I'm like, I can go with for $1.75 and see this. So saw it six times and of course when it came out on dvd just watched it over and over again so i've definitely seen this one more than lost world because i was more into it when it came out but i, I just we'll, we'll talk so much about this throughout but i just love that this movie is embracing a, a different genre of monster movie it's not the modern scientific you know dna uh 
thing that we got with Jurassic Park and Lost World. This is King Kong 1930s or Godzilla. And that is a lot to do with Joe Johnson as well. So, I mean, the change in director also is just bringing Joe Johnson on. This felt like a classic monster movie, which is what I love. And I think, yeah, I think you sum it up that, and maybe that's where I'm a bit more critical of it, the fact that I kind of like the the wider themes that Jurassic Park has and The Lost World brings, is that, like, maybe, you know, I've got a bit of a slight, like, oh, well, this film just kind of, it doesn't throw it out the door, but it just doesn't explore it. Um, but like, this is just kind of a real, just put your mind at the door and just watch it. It's fun. And it's such a short movie. Like, oh my God, I always forget. Like, this is like a Disney length movie, you know, <laughs> like it's bit, it's blinking. You miss it. It's done. Um, but I mean, it's, I, I, I appreciate the fact they bring back Dr. Grant. I'm glad that kind of, you know, pre Jurassic world that we kind of had a sequel for each Malcolm and Grant. And, you know, Ellie's here too, but she really doesn't do much. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I always appreciate that factor. Uh, I mean, the characters in this film, though, I'm sure have a lot to talk about outside of Dr. Grant. Uh, yeah, like, I watched this... I've, they're better than Lost World, as far uh, as I'm concerned. Eric, no. Uh, like, I even, like Eric. Eric's an annoying shit. I've, like, written down so many negative things about him in this. I always forget how bad he is, but, um... Oh, maybe he should have been a gymnast. That would have been better. <laughs> him and Kelly have secretly hooked up after this. He's not 12! Like, fuck off! He is not 12! He's, like, 16. Well... Um, anyway, um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just... I can never hate this film. I just... That's one thing I'll say. And I think, like, as soon as Jurassic World came out, I remember leaving the cinema, going, oh, that's the best sequel we've ever had, finally a good sequel. And, like, really, after all these years, Jurassic World kind of does diminish after a few years, and we'll get to that next week. Yeah. But, like, again, like, as much as I said Lost World, I appreciate more and more every time I watch it. I like it and really, you know, think that is a great sequel. This, again, it just depends on the day of the week whether I'm going to love it or absolutely hate it. Not absolutely hate it, but, like, be really completely bipolar on it. And I think maybe you've got me on a good week here, Colin, that maybe I've appreciated appreciated it a lot more this time around uh than i have uh in previous viewings so there's something for you as a bit of a teaser heading into this i don't want people to get me wrong like i love the whole you know technology gone wrong science gone wrong uh intelligence stuff we got in jurassic park and lost world i love that uh but I look at this movie as like a welcome break from that because I feel like we we got too much of that in The Lost World where maybe that's one of the other things where The Lost World, there's a lot of good things about it, but I felt like they went too far with so many things and it wasn't as enjoyable and it wasn't as fun, especially for the action. The action's not nearly as fun as it could have been, that this is just like a break. And and you you nailed it in the beginning when you said – you, this is the one that it's almost like the spin-off in the Jurassic Park universe. You don't need this. It's not part of the overarching storyline. It's just sort of there in the middle. It's like the Tokyo Drift of the Fast and the Furious series. You know, yeah, it has its significance, but it's just sort of the one-off adventure in the middle of the series that's just meant to be fun. And that's what I love about this is that I don't have to commit to anything else. This can just be like... It's a break in the series, you know? It's it's something different. It's like Solo in the Star Wars movies. It's not the Star Wars saga, but it's just something fun and different. Uh, but just going to a bit of the history here, you know, I already mentioned Joe Johnston is directing this one. Uh, Spielberg, who, of course, had lost World, uh, he had done Saving Private Ryan after the Lost World. He did Amistad after that. Uh, he was in the middle of making AI at this point, which 
I often wonder if he would have done Jurassic Park 3 if it wasn't for, like, Stanley Kubrick dying and if you know anything about him taking over AI, which was thanks, the last Stanley one. Thanks, Stanley Kubrick. Kubrick. Yeah, thanks for dying. You robbed us of Steven Spielberg <laughs> getting dinosaurs speaking English. <laughs> Alan. Alan. <laughs> Stanley. Stanley. <laughs> Enrique. 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 <laughs> But Joe Johnston, who, uh, if you know your history on him, I mean, he goes back to the original Star Wars movie and was basically a Lucasfilm guy and an ILM guy and slowly started getting his breaks throughout the Star Wars trilogy and then started working more on the crew in uh, like the Ewoks movies, eventually became a director for uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And this is why I say that, that this movie embraces that classic monster movie, because if you look at Joe Johnston's entire filmography, every movie he's made is emulating a genre of the past even if it's like captain america the first avenger it felt like a 1940s propaganda war movie and he he went with that intention we didn't made the wolfman it was the same thing like a classic monster movie hidalgo is like you know a 1950s horse race adventure movie um jumanji obviously there's a lot of comparison like classic disney movies and the rocketeer uh, October Sky, which he had made just before this, you know, even that feels like, you know, a, a classic, like it's a wonderful life type movie. And Joe Johnston just, he has that classic movie style about him that he brought to this. But Joe Johnston got involved in this because when Jurassic Park came out, Joe Johnston loved it so much that he told Spielberg, this movie's obviously going to get a sequel. And he never expected Spielberg to do it. He said, please let me do the sequel. Spielberg eventually said, I think I want to do Jurassic Park 2, but if 3 ever gets made, you are the guy. And he lived up to his word, and he gave Joe Johnson this movie. So Jamie's flapping her wings right now. Like I don't know if she's trying to get me a signal, or she's like, remember the Pteranodons? And what, what are you trying to say? Are you trying to... Take your shirt You need off. help with something. I did something really bad. Jamie did something bad. Let's keep this in the episode, but we are going to pause here. As I go fix whatever bad what thing you do, Jamie, Jamie? <laughs> I will I will have an update when we return. Hold on. All right. Oh God, no! Jamie lost Casper parasailing. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, Jamie spilled coffee behind. Oh, the we don't have so. to go back there, do we? Uh, well, she, she spilled coffee on Casper. What? <laughs> Crisis averted. Uh, Jamie spilled something. Oh, was that it? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Wow. Casper's not lost. Oh. Um, where was I though? Um, Joe Johnston. Joe Johnston. So Joe Johnston comes on here and just going through some of the history because this is an episode where it's almost more interesting to talk about the behind the scenes details than it is the movie. There's going to be so much to talk about. But the basic part of this is that there were different scripts out there. Uh, The main one they settled on was Steven Spielberg's idea. And there's a lot of false stories out there on what the script was supposed to be. But after they had had Sam Neill sign on, you know, they eventually settled on this plot, which was. Steven Spielberg's story of a rescue mission where there were a plane, I guess, I don't know if it was going to be like a field trip or something like that, but you had like adults on one plane, kids on another plane, the plane with kids crashed, so you had a bunch of kids stuck on this island, and then the adults had to find their way back there to rescue the kids. Alan Grant being the guide, I don't know if he would have worked in the same way or not. They eventually decided to scrap that and go with just the family, uh, which... All the other stories out there are pretty much false. This is what Joe Johnston said, you know, when this movie was released on Blu-ray recently. There's a lot of other side plots, which we'll talk about throughout the movie, that got cut from this as well. Because aside from this basically being rewritten at the last minute, and them writing this movie literally as they had started filming, which the same thing happened on the first Iron Man movie, too. This was a movie without a script, and they were filming already. Uh, 
as they got closer to, I don't know, finishing production or even the movie coming out, entire subplots that would have uh, really expanded on the, the whole science and technology thing that we had in the first one uh, and dinosaur culture was somehow cut from the movie with only a few mentions throughout, which I'll point out. But this was like a terribly troubled production. And one of the reasons I really love this movie is because I see it as a perfect example of how you can make an adequate movie <laughs> out of a complete mess, something that makes sense and is fun and entertaining. And this movie probably would have ne- never ended up being just this fast-paced roller coaster almost theme park ride if they didn't have such a troubled production but it was almost like a brilliant last ditch effort on joe johnson part to be like let's scrap everything and let's just stick with what we have and let's just make it fun entertainment and i think it's interesting kind of reading some of those other ones and like the confirm one i think also was um that a lot of this and you probably will allude to this is that a lot of the side plot was based on dinosaurs killing people on the mainland like in costa rica and there was Mm -hmm. meant to be kind of like two things side by side and there was a lot more to do with the pterodons and kind of you know an ending that was completely scrapped which we'll obviously get to when we get to the end of this um and a lot of it reads to just what this film could have been um and it's interesting kind of, like you were saying about how this script wasn't even written when they were filming this. It was like five weeks before this film was started filming. They basically restarted rewriting it completely. They'd built like $18 million worth of sets and everything to, to prepare for this film and cast it and everything. Um, so it, it was, it was fascinating kind of to read about all the things of that and just how troubled it really was. And like, yeah, like I agree with you to, to consider the film that we get right here, uh, out of a movie that was so troubled, I think is pretty decent, whether you love yeah. or dislike this film or not. Um, and I think the the one rumour that always circulated with this too was about um, Jeff Goldblum being in this again, that apparently it was, he started filming, but he like broke his leg or something like that and was like, oh no, my cameo means nothing. But then in a recent interview, he said like, that's completely not true. I was never even contacted mm-hmm. for Jurassic Park 3. Um, so, yeah. you know, that was a long going rumour for a long time there as well. But um, yeah, I think kind of based on the knowledge of just how troubled this film was, as I said, to get the result we get is, is pretty decent. And like, as you said, there's there's lots of elements in this film that still you can tell were based on what we were going to have. Uh, I think mm-hmm. there's a bit around the Billy backstory that's always rumoured that Billy was meant to have a lot more to do with this than is implied, and hence why there's a few little moments where it's kind of like, why, how does that make sense? But, um, yeah, we'll get to things like that. And the funny thing is, I think because maybe they had done, done this change with the script so close to when the movie came out, we really have no way of confirming this because usually you would go by deleted scenes to be like, oh, well, here's the subplot that was kind of, you know, one of the best examples of that would be, super, you've seen all the original Superman movies, including Superman 4, I'm assuming. It's been a very long time since I've seen them, but yes. But like Superman 4 is a complete disaster of a movie. And yet when they eventually released like the, the huge special edition set with all the movies, you saw like half an hour of deleted scenes for Superman 4. And it's like, wow, that half an hour changed the movie and would have actually made it a better movie. Batman v There's Superman. basically no deleted... It's what? Batman v Superman as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, this massive amount of deleted scenes. But with this, they basically don't exist, which leads me to believe that because this was being rewritten on the spot and they were making it up a lot as they went along, uh, a lot of these little things just got cut as they were writing the script. So therefore, Joe Johnson made that decision of, let's tighten this movie up and you know just make this you know uh hour and a half 
blockbuster uh, monster movie and leave all the science stuff behind while they were filming because even Joe Johnson has said that the first cut of this movie was 96 minutes. Now, we basically have a 90, with credits, 92 minutes. Let's say if there's like eight minutes of credits in there, I mean, we're still looking at maybe eight minutes were cut out of this movie, period. And there's no way that all these side plots were cut. So it's just, it's so unusual that you could have a movie where there was so much uh, bigger stuff planned, and yet they basically said, let's not even bother to film it. Let's just change directions now. And they've never been released, if I'm not mistaken, the extra six yeah. minutes. Like, I mean, I think we didn't really do it justice enough last week. The amount of deleted scenes that were removed from The Lost World, I think it's the most of any Jurassic Park film. And I know we alluded to some of them, but go back and watch them like that. There's never been a director's cut release of The Lost World, and I'd love to see one. I mean, I guess we could probably edit one and make it ourselves. But, um, you know, the, the, like you mentioned, like the Roland deleted scene when he's like punching someone and, you know, there's the Ludlow boardroom scene and all this sort of stuff. But like, it does, you know, not change the whole film, but it definitely adds a lot to it. But, um, yeah, I think kind of, I would love to see, even if it is only six minutes worth of stuff, because an- another thing too with the production of this is that Michael Crichton was brought on board to kind of, to pen yeah. this. But um, he essentially got to the point where he's like, I can't come up with a story to me that justifies, you know, more story being told after The Lost World. Mm-hmm. So that's why he kind of passed it on to Steven Spielberg to kind of be slightly involved. So, I mean, there's another what if, you know, how would have this happened if Michael Crichton had have actually been involved in this? Because it's not like Spielberg did what he did after Jurassic Park and said, hey, Michael, can you write another book so we can make a, another <laughs> sequel? Um, so yeah, I mean, that's another what if, how would have this film been if Michael Crichton had stayed on board of the project and actually kind of done this? I mean, we would have had a much more sciencey film, like as we've kind of alluded to, I reckon. Yeah. And we should jump into the movie here, uh, cause we'll have more behind the scenes to talk about as we go along. Uh, and the movie opens with uh, a change up from the logo where you just get the Jurassic Park and that kind of basically the poster shot, like this metallic background and then the three slash. And even that slash, I just remember seeing that for the first time and immediately knowing this is a different type of movie. This is like this would have been something that would be great to be like a classic 3D movie from like even the 80s monster movies. Like in a way, this almost feels more like a Jaws movie to me than a Jurassic Park movie. It is kind of cheesy and you know more about the the violence, not not violence in a bad way but just the action and adventure and everything but even that opening logo is different with the big restricted restricted that's so 2001 <laughs> it's like in independence day i always joke about well every movie from the 90s whenever writing comes across the bottom of the screen you have the like the, the sound effect coming up <laughs> this is so 2001 with big restricted letters uh but they do a pretty good job here of just uh, tying it to the lost world because this isn't really a continuation of the story it's more Let's get like a brief glimpse into what the world is like after the world knows these dinosaurs exist, which that last news broadcast uh, that the Lost World showed uh, on the TV at the end, uh, you know, kind of sets a little bit of that up. And you can hear like the voice over the radio, this guy on the boat, like, uh, you know, this restricted airspace or whatever, which we're going to get more of later on. And this is kind of a fun idea and something that you wouldn't have thought of, but makes total sense that in costa rica you know the same as if you were to go to any of these uh countries like cuba or uh venezuela or anywhere else they're gonna have uh you know these tour excursions that maybe some of them are reputable and some of them aren't and this is basically somebody who sells a parasailing thing close to the island so you can see the dinosaurs and you've got a gentleman here who is not the father of trevor morgan which by the way you say he's 16 uh, he was 13 and a half when he oh, filmed bullshit. this movie. That kid's got pubes. Like, that kid's got facial <laughs> hair. Like, 
He ages too well, much. Well, Ben, Ben, some of us got our pubes before we were 21, unlike yourself. Well, I'm still waiting for my first pube, but that's another story. Yeah, Ben's at 31, and they're still coming in. <laughs> Jamie loved that one. Uh, but anyway, so they're doing the parasailing, and... This, again, I just I love this opening sequence. I think this is uh, better than the one we had in The Lost World, definitely better than the egg hatching in Jurassic World. And uh, as they're parasailing, you know, the, the boat goes in the fog, and all of a sudden there's a jerk on the line. And this is one of the reasons why I say very much like Jaws, because we don't see the dinosaur at the beginning. We basically see nothing at all. And this is a huge attack. And I kind of am left wondering watching this. I'm like, what was that? Because they, they talked about rumors that this movie was going to have, like, uh, like fish dinosaurs in here, like a megalodon, or like we later saw a mosasaurus in uh, Jurassic World. But I would assume this is probably just a spinosaurus or whatever. But the boat's attacked, and Eric, the little boy, <laughs> this little 16-year-old pube boy, is freaking out. <laughs> and this man who's not his father um, is just trying to get them free. And just as the boat crashes, uh, they get free, and they parasail into the wilderness. And uh, then we cut to... A giant Brachiosaurus, which again, I just like the clever cut here. And uh, one of the unsung heroes of the Jurassic Park series. We talk about annoying children in these movies. Charlie. I love Charlie. So Charlie do I. Is great. <laughs> Ellie's little son, which knowing, like, I said how I didn't really need to know what this movie was about going in. I think with the promotion, you couldn't really know a lot. I mean, A, there's not much story here. What could they promote? But. I didn't know what to expect. I knew that Ellie would be back. And you see here Alan with a child. And because you know that whole Jurassic Park storyline where, you know, Alan didn't like kids. And you see him here and he's playing with a kid and, you know, everything. And then Ellie's there with another baby. Of course, everybody's assuming. I want to know, like, were you assuming this is his kid when you first saw it? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think this is the, I think we talked about this, didn't we, in the first one where it's kind of, I like how they do this little bit where you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, they got married and he's little Charlie. And yeah, but no. Yeah, uh, but it's it's a cool reveal when you realize it's not when she has this other guy come home, or you're just like, man, he they've got an open marriage. <laughs> <laughs> He's really okay with this guy fondling his wife when he comes home. Uh, but we also get to mention here about her book, uh, her publisher's calling or whatever. And uh, I don't know if you caught this at all, or if you know a lot about the behind the scenes stuff. But she says, just tell him I'm not losing the Jack Horner quote. Yeah. Jack Horner was the I guess technical advisor on these movies, and also the guy that. Michael Crichton slightly based Alan Grant on. Mm-hmm. So this is the guy you always see in the behind-the-scenes uh, documentaries, the dinosaur expert who is giving them the advice, oh, it should look like this, it shouldn't look like this. And they threw his name in there, which is interesting. Uh, but yeah, Charlie here with the dinosaurs, and when his dad comes up, he's like, this is such a little kid. I, I completely see that this could have just been not improvised, but just roll the cameras on set. This is what the kid does. Daddy, this is a dinosaur, and that's a dinosaur man. Or this is a herbivore, and that's the dinosaur man. <laughs> this kid is awesome. Like, we need more of him and less of Kelly. Uh, <laughs> the other ones are. And, and then the Jurassic World ones. Eric's okay, but Charlie's better. Charlie would have been good. If you imagine Charlie on the island himself for eight weeks. And that's um, a movie I want to see. Yeah, I'd, I'd but, be down uh, with that. <laughs> better than uh, eric but dinner scene follows this and uh, alan's giving his theory on raptors vocalizing and stuff like that and about how smart they were and they were, they were smarter than dolphins they were smarter than primates um they were way smarter than the raptors in the lost world too which they would have to be uh and yeah the, the, this nice little dinner scene comes to an end and you have this 
moment between Ellie and Alan, which I just love that they felt the need to bring back the relationship between these two characters. But yet we talked about in the first one, that they don't really address them being a couple like this the most realistic couple ever. At no point do you see them being a couple. And here when they're more affectionate towards each other here, when they're sort of saying goodbye than they ever are to each other in Jurassic Park, which I always kind of loved. Uh, and uh, then we get this nice seminar here uh, that Alan Grant has, which I talked about in the last one, which you know, it, it's it's hilariously awkward the way Sam Neill plays it, where he's like, and that's why, you know, uh, dinosaur raptors could have evolved to be the dominant species. And then he's smiling, and there's just, thank you. And then he's <laughs> smiling and waiting again, and eventually, like, scattered applause. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and you have that great moment here, which is hilarious, the way that, uh, like, uh, all right, do we have any questions? And every hand in the room goes up. He's like, all right, how about any questions that don't have to do with Jurassic Park? And half the hands go down. Or the incident in San Diego, which I did not <laughs> witness. And you got one hand left standing, who still manages to ask about Jurassic Park in San Diego, uh, which uh, he, he's mentioning, you know, once the Costa Rican government or whatever figures out what to do, uh, they go to the island. What's the point in you studying fossils anymore? And, um, you know, he, he actually brings up an interesting point, which this is one of the things that Jurassic World really did a good job of expanding on that was never brought up in the first two, which is, you know, InGen made monsters. At no point, even in Jurassic Park and the Lost World, do they claim we have dinosaur DNA. They say we have part dinosaur DNA and we improvise the rest. Mm. And that's kind of the point that Alan's making here, which goes against stuff later in the movie when they show up on the island and these dinosaurs act exactly like the fossils that he found as well. Uh, but uh, I, I still love this seminar scene, just seeing how different Alan is his character, and also that he has that same Ian Malcolm reaction of not wanting to go to the island. Like, he even says, there's no force on Earth or in Heaven that will get me to go back to that island. And we'll kind of stop there. Um, this is sort of Alan's introduction to the movie. But, I mean, the Alan Grant character is completely different, and I loved watching the Blu-ray, because you always hear interviews with actors when a movie comes out and they're always like, Oh, this is my favorite Jurassic park movie ever. And you know, it's just publicity, but the blu-ray, which was released like 10 years later and they have recent interviews, with Alan Grant or Sam Neill, I guess he is his own person, but Sam Neill talks about how he's like, he wasn't saying that he, 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 he said he enjoyed the movie, but he said personally, he thought it was more interesting to play this Alan Grant than it was 1993 Alan Grant. And I, I just, I like the subtle differences in the character we get here. He has more of an arrogance about him. He doesn't have the fear of Ian Malcolm. It's more just like, no, this is wrong. There's no point to go in there. So uh, lots of scenes to start there. We basically covered a third of the movie there. <laughs> I wish and the credits are on. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. One of the best ones. I don't, I don't know if he did the commentary during when like the release of the initial DVD or it was kind of later, but... Uh, I think it was on one of the releases of Armageddon when they've got Ben Affleck on there talking about it and he gets there and he's like, oh, I always question Michael Bay why they didn't just uh, train astronauts to dig rather than getting diggers to be astronauts. And Michael Bay just told me to shut the fuck up and film the movie. It's <laughs> 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 just, just like really honest Ben Affleck there about Armageddon. Um, yeah, I I like the the introduction when they kind of have the the ripples on the logos. I think that's kind of like a, a nice little touch. Qu- got to got to raise a question here. So we get Isla Sauna, two hundred and seven miles west of Costa Rica. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, now uh, in Lost World we had Isla Sauna, eighty seven miles southwest of Isla Nublar. But then in the first movie we have Isla Nublar, one hundred and twenty miles west of Costa Rica. 
So what is it, Jurassic Park? <laughs> like you've got Isla Nublar I... west of Costa Rica, but then this is west of Isla. Like it's it's weird. Like it's a weird I need geography. To brush up on my geometry here. Uh, <laughs> I can't work out the measurements. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on there. But anyway, um, can I just point out this is where Eric is a little shit because like just follow him <laughs> as he's here um, on this parasail. Like when it gets to the attack. When he's just like, oh, 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 I'm, I'm, make it stop. Oh, get me down. It's like, shut up. Like, this what? other guy, Ben, doesn't know what's happening either. <laughs> just like, this is you at the age of 31, Ben. Yes, it is. But I'm not on a dinosaur <laughs> thing, right? Like, <laughs> dinosaur. <laughs> now, another thing I'm going to point out, because, like, we're, we're the kings of uh, unsung heroes on the Oz Network. We like to get the, you know, the Ludlows and the, the people that we're not meant to yeah. like. Uh, you know, Billy Zane in Titanic, all these ones that you're meant to be against. What is the, what is the deal with Ben? Because like, this is Tia Leone's boyfriend, right? So like, I always yeah. try to work out what, how this happens. So they're on like tour in Costa Rica and Tia Leone's just been like, Hey, I'm just going to have the day off. What are you going to do today, honey? Oh, I might take Eric on a tour. Oh, okay. What are you going to see? Oh, just at Paris. Oh, okay. Fair enough. And like, Tilly does not give a shit about Ben in this movie because, like, even <laughs> later on when she finds him dead, and she's all like, ah, yeah. ah, 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 and you know, William H Macy's all like, "Oh, I'm so sorry about Ben. It's not Ben. It's Eric. Like, who is Ben? This nice guy who's like you know, to take the kid out you know what for I a found... parasail." <laughs> Go. I found this funny too. Like, we don't find out a lot about the relationship. One of the things I love about this movie is they they pack a lot of character development in to a very short period of time here for all the characters, but there's still the question of this relationship and the timeline and everything, because they say the Kirby's have been divorced for a year, not separated divorced for a year. So I'm not going to say she moved on quickly, but there's a moment where Paul says, uh, like he talks about Ben where he's like, Oh, you throw somebody like Ben Hildebrand into the mix. You know, I'm assuming based on all this, that like, she, this was like their neighbor or something. <laughs> you know, she was having an affair because Paul's very familiar with this Ben guy that she's yeah. been dating for only a period of time. Where I, I would love to know the backstory here about, you know, she didn't like that he didn't like swimming. So <laughs> she's like, I want a man who can swim and parasail. I want me some Ben Hildebrand, the guy next door. And then she just hooks up with him and he finds her in bed one day with Ben, not Ben Hildebrand. <laughs> There's a spin-off. <laughs> ben Hildebrand, <laughs> a Jurassic Park story. Um, I, like, can I just point out, like, I like Tia Leone. Like, I always kind of, you know, I, I like her in Deep Impact, the fact that she was married to Dave Duchovny. You know, there's all things about her. I cannot stand her in this movie. I think her character is terrible. Um, but also the fact, too, that, like, she's a fairly attractive woman. She has no standards, though. Like, this Ben Hildebrand looks like a wildebeest man, and nothing against William H. Macy, but, I mean, come on. Like, David Duchovny, yeah. William H. Macy, who would you rather? <laughs> but, like, at the same time, you know, she's... I'm not saying, like, she's the most attractive person in the world, but, like, she's moderately attractive, and, you know, in some of her movies, more so than others, like, in this... They really made her look like soccer mom here. Like, it looks like her standards are down too. Like, I, I don't know. Everybody in this movie is just meant to be so plain and average too. And maybe we just see that because we have beautiful Sam Neill standing next to them all where everybody looks so average. Oh, what about beautiful Billy? 
uh, Alessandra Navola. Like, you know, I'm sure Jamie would go there. Um, but like, yeah. well, Jamie had another favorite, which we'll talk about later. <laughs> oh, was it Udesky? It's, it's gotta be Udesky. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I just feel so bad for Ben. Like, Ben is the AJ of this movie. Like, what, what is, what happens to him? Like, he's here, he's protecting sure Eric. The next minute, like, we see his skeleton in a tree. Uh, like, poor old Ben. You know, I, I also, I'm gonna theorize something else here. This is, this is me going along with it. Uh, so, you know those types of like, divorced parents where the kids take it hard and then the mom finds a new boyfriend and the kid's like i don't like this guy so the the guy just tries to bribe him off like i know my mom had a few boyfriends like that like after my dad died where you could tell the guy was trying to buy us off you know <laughs> i need to get the kid's approval i could totally see eric just being this guy the cold shoulder as they're on vacation in costa rica it's like hey what if you see some dinosaurs so this poor guy is just trying to impress his girlfriend's kids and he takes them on this, this terribly expensive parasailing tour of Isla Sorna, and he dies in the process. He loses, yeah. you know, his girlfriend. He loses his video camera. <laughs> Somehow he lost his shirt because the corpse that shows up later is shirtless. So I don't know how that happened. This guy loses everything. Yeah, we need the Ben Hildebrand story. Come on. I, I want Jurassic World 2 to have that little girl that we keep seeing in the scenes to be like the long-lost child of Ben Hildebrand. Like, <laughs> she's just like some sort of like revenge. Or James Cromwell is Ben Hildebrand's yeah. dad. Like, I started all of this to get justice for my son. Uh, but like, you're so <laughs> Justice like, for Ben Hildebrand. <laughs> even when he's up on the parasail and he's all like saying to like the, the boat operators, like, hey, we want to get as close, you know, we want to see, I'll give you something a little extra. And it's like, hey, my friend, we want to get you too close. That's Enrique right there. There he is. There he is. Finally seeing yeah, him on Enrique. screen. But, like, it's just because, like, I'll talk about one of the theories here in a sec about the people who are getting eaten on the boat. But, like, there's, it's, I always, qu- how does Ben die in that tree and Eric just does a yeah. runner? There's another reason why Eric's the worst, because clearly Ben's in that tree in a, in a parasail. He's getting eaten and Eric just buggers off and doesn't even help his friend. And then like somehow he decomposes in the tree in eight weeks. Like what? <laughs> anyway, justice for Ben. Well, we'll get to that. The humidity of Costa Rica, maybe. <laughs> maybe. But so the boat, I always wondered like what, who eats the, the crew on the boat. And I, I was with you. I always thought it was a Spinosaur. Like, I thought that was yeah. kind of what it is. But from what I've read and kind of in the lead up to this, in the, and we'll get to the ending, the initial script, obviously the ending with the Pterodons was meant to have them attacking the helicopters as they're getting off the island. We'll get to that. But there was a scene written in the script where the lead up to this was just before about they're about to get rescued, Alan finds this boat that's just being attacked and he investigates it and he notices it that there's like a talon or something from one of the pterodons and that's when he realizes like shit we're in trouble run and then that's when the pterodons appear so i actually think it's meant to be the pterodons that kill them which well, is weird because like we i know we don't see like, them getting released from the avery till later but then also at the same time this is the same island as the lost world where there were pterodons free at the end of yeah it's never specifically said but i think based on the script this was meant to be pterodons. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the script. Like, they probably never filmed the scenes either. Yeah, yeah. Um, because uh, one thing I think we should also definitely clarify here, because I always had a thing with this film, like uh, how are they on Isla Sorna and there's like a spinosaur, yet we never saw that in the Lost World. Um, and 
there was a lot of these theories in the video, and I'll give this guy a shout out. The the channel uh, Clayton Flaughty, excuse me, he's great. He's got great videos on there, and he goes into a lot of depth about things like this. And he's got one where he like explains about like why where was the Spinosaur in the Lost World. Um, but like these are meant to be on completely different ends of the island. So like the Lost World was like on the north side. This is on the south mm-hmm. side. And I think a lot of that can be told because like the Lost World, like the scenery is very. Like, the forest is different. This is very tropical in Jurassic Park 3, yeah. whereas Lost World, it's not. It's more woodland and everything. So that that's where it's meant to be implied. So um, I think that, that that's kind of a key thing to note, that these are meant to be different areas, even though there is one bit which we will get to which was kind of meant to be based on the Lost World, but that's another story. But anyway, yeah. we'll get through that. But, um, yeah, Eric's a little shit. I'm sorry. Uh, just like, make it stop, make it stop. And then when he gets released, it's like, ah! Like, no, I'm not a fan of Eric. Sorry. Um, yeah, I, I like Charlie, though, even though, again, um, you know, we he's a little kid. Can I just also quickly point out, just really quickly, looking at the cast here of Jurassic Park 3, that I actually think that guy in the boat is Enrique, because it says here... Julio Oscar Mecosa as Enrique Cardosa. So can we just point out for the canon of yes! Jurassic Park that the guy on the boat is Enrique? <laughs> like, I know Enrique's like John in, like, you know, Latin America, but, like, still, there we go. We've connected the dots. <laughs> um, and he's sadly Enrique? the guy who Enrique played Enrique. Was girl, how disappointed is she? Yeah, yeah well, she's ex- she's devastated now. She's dead. And in well, in real life, Julio Oscar Mercosa, who played him, died last year. That's sad. Anyway, um, but yes, oh. I like Alan. Charlie actually, they're herbivores and uh, they wouldn't fight. But these two are. And I love the way that Alan makes that noise, like rawr. Um, the one bit that I actually never noticed into this rewatch, and I think it's a real little subtle blink and you miss line, which is very important for the end of the movie is when Ellie's, like, talking about her husband, Mark. Oh, what is it that you do again, Mark? Oh, I work for the State Department, you know, just going from country yeah. to country or whatever. So, like, oh, okay. <laughs> that makes sense towards the end, that he can pull a few uh, strings and everything. Um, I think you're right about the whole, you know, Ellie and Grant's kind of like the first real, you know, the nicest scene we've had between them. The one thing that I think takes me away from this movie compared to, and this is maybe a criticism I have for it, it's got a very weird editing style to it. And there's a, there's a lot of moments in it which really just don't... Like, compared to the first two, and that's maybe what takes me out of it, is particularly when we get to this bit when Grant's like, no force on earth or heaven could get me on that island. The way they, like, zoom in on his face, it's kind of like, uh, okay, hmm, I wonder what's going to happen here. I just, it's a bit cheesy. I just I don't think it really fits with what we have in Jurassic World. And I think kind of Jurassic World does that a little bit too. Um, but, you know, it's there. But I why is Dr. Grant in a seminar and everyone's bored. Like, I don't get this. Like, this is a guy... Yeah. Like, I, and we talked about this last week with the media attention around, like, dinosaurs being real. This would be a huge freaking deal. Dr. Grant's surely, like, a big celebrity based purely on his books and that he's seen these dinosaurs. We kind of saw it a little bit with Malcolm. But, like, even if he's giving a boring lecture, like... We've all been to things where we want to see someone famous, and it's kind of boring, but we don't give a shit because there's a famous person in front of us. So, like, I just don't get He's why... Captain Phillips. Captain Phillips, exactly. Good good comparison. Like, why is everyone walking out on him? Poor Grant. Um, <laughs> but uh, I do... I do yeah, I always like that bit when, like, everyone puts their hand up. Does anyone have a question that's not related to Jurassic Park and the incident in San Diego that I did not see? Um, but... Yeah, poor old Grant. No one likes him. I'd go watch a lecture on Grant and ask him about dinosaurs. 
as I said, like I took my, I think it was for his eighth or ninth birthday, my nephew to see that lecture of the guy who discovered a full Spinosaurus skeleton or like a 75% complete Spinosaurus skeleton. And it was a science lecture for the most part. And then afterwards, this guy's in the lobby and there's just a lineup of kids just excited to meet this guy. So I don't know. These people are too old and too jaded. Um, but I still love that it brings up like valid points. Like mm. what is the purpose of somebody like this if we have real dinosaurs anymore? Um, so the actual plot is about to start here, though, is now we get to meet the mercenary team very briefly. And this is another cool tease that the movie has because you think it's going to be something bigger than it is. Like they get this bigger deduction with the pain having the the, the the pain the plane having the face painted on it uh, and you get Kirby played by the great Michael Jeter and uh, how how soon did he die after this movie uh, I, I forget didn't was, even know he was dead that's sad t- 2003 so uh, he died two years after this movie came out he only made like oh, two Udesky. three oh, right, other okay movies. yes no I didn't know he died sorry yeah Udesky. Yeah, and Michael Jeter, um, uh, I guess he's most well known (laughs) in my household, no, as Mr. Noodle from Elmo's World. (laughs) Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know he talked. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so they're like after he died, I guess they've had many other Mr. Noodles. But Mr. Noodle on Elmo's World, which is just a segment on Sesame Street or of its own show or whatever, is just this completely silent physical comedian guy who is basically mentally challenged, I guess would be the way of saying it. <laughs> like, they'll, they'll have things like, hey, Mr. Noodle, why don't yeah. you throw that ball? And he's like, oh, and he just drops it. It's like the most inept human being on the planet. And then eventually, good job, Mr. Noodle, you threw the ball. <laughs> he's Ryan Lochte. He's Ryan Lochte, yes. This is grown-up mustached Ryan Lochte. But, like, to- total legend. He's one of these guys that, like, shows up in a million movies. Pat I guess Adam. he probably... Sorry. Yeah, I'm like most alone. I'd guess the Green Mile would be his biggest one and probably his most prominent role. But uh, you know, I I think you know this movie was one of the ones that I always remember most from. And you get the other two guys in there, and there are also two guys that you often see pop up in other movies. And you never remember their name. So John Deal plays Cooper, and I'm just clicking through here to see if I saw him in anything else. Um, the client. Uh, he was on Friday Night Lights. Uh, the Shield. He was on the Shield just, as well. Pro- sorry to interrupt. Just whenever you say Cooper, just just the one line in this. I love Sam Neill. He's a great actor. But the line which you'll get to in the plane, that's Cooper. Like no shit, Grant. Like who else would it be? <laughs> sorry. Uh, so yeah, you got Cooper. Who and then you have uh, Bruce A. Young here, who's playing Nash. So these guys all get this big introduction as Udesky's on the phone. We get the first Kirby Paint and Tile Plus jingle on the satellite phone and. You just get one half of the conversation. Maybe you hear a little bit of the uh, William H. Macy in the background, but you realize that like somebody's putting together this team of mercenaries and they're blowing up the plane and uh, it's just going to be a walk in the park. And like it's this massive introduction. And of course, we're going to find out these guys are dead like three minutes later in the movie, uh, which was kind of a good surprise when you saw the movie because you kill off half the cast in one scene. Uh, but this team gets put together. And then uh, you get Alan coming back. So he's got his new dig site. This is just like the over there in Montana. In the first one, uh, you have the introduction of Billy here, who is seducing interns with a toothbrush. Uh, me too. <laughs> I, just, 
there's something I picked up on in this movie. Uh, there's two back-to-back scenes here. He's seducing this intern here with, like, rough, rough, smooth, smooth. And I thought, okay, this is kind of a smooth guy. He's used to pick up girls. But then we get the scene where Alan shows up uh, and everything, and he builds the, the – the, out of the 3D printer, he builds this you know, voice box or whatever for the Raptors. And did you notice that when Billy blows into this thing, he closes his eyes like he's making love to it with his tongue. <laughs> like Alan. he is like in total <laughs> orgasm mode here. It's just like, <gasps> like this guy really gets off on his archaeology. Like Billy has some some serious fetishes. <laughs> yeah. I never picked up on that until now. I just thought he was picking up on a woman. But like he's really into this whole <laughs> mouth whistle thing. I don't know what you would when, call when, it. A few seconds ago, um, when you said but, like, the rough, rough, smooth thing, to me that reminded me of whip, whipster, whip, whipster, whip, whipster. Yeah, stir, stir, whip, 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 whipster. <laughs> but just the way he closes his eyes, like he closes it very slowly, and he's like, <gasps> <gasps> it's weird. <laughs> just watch it. It's it's Alan like weird, like it's really weird, but um. The, the one funny line I have in here, just the throwback to Alan just not getting on with technology where uh, he's saying, oh, it didn't go well. We're going to have to close down in four weeks or whatever. And go, well, actually, three, I had to buy some technology. You like computers, right? He goes, I like the abacus, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> Such an old man. Um, I, I'm not going to call it a plot hole. I'm just going to call it a – I'm scratching my head wondering about this, though. He comes back from this seminar, which to me always plays out like he's – making a, a public appearance uh, at this college, because these are all college kids at this. Like, not a single one of them could be older than Billy. And Billy's, what, like maybe 23, 24 here? And then he comes back and says, sorry, we didn't get our funding. Like, are these just a bunch of rich kids who are going to give him money? <laughs> like, he's not doing a seminar in front of, like, the top scientists or billionaires. He would, these aren't John Hammonds. These are, like, <laughs> 21-year-old archaeologists. You know. <laughs> sorry. Ooh. Mallory's sneezing again. <laughs> <laughs> the resonating chamber of Velociraptor. Ah, you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I don't. I just don't understand why Alan comes back all disappointed. These twenty-year-old kids didn't give me my funding. Um. But yeah. So after this, we realize they're down and out. They need the money. Uh. They got this really cool thing where they could hear what the dinosaur sounded like, and. Uh, then Kirby walks in the door. So now we get the proper introduction to the great William H. Macy, who, I mean, you could say what you want, like, Taylor Leone's not great in this movie. I mean, this isn't her best, but, like, William H. Macy doesn't have much of a character either, but, like, I love William H. Macy in this movie. Maybe it's because we get to see this dual character where you think he's, I don't know, John Hammond meets Richard Branson here at the beginning, and then you find out, no, he's the hardware store guy. He's he's Al Borland, basically. <laughs> you find out <laughs> as the movie progresses. <laughs> but um, he basically says, oh, I just have a proposition where you meet for dinner. And I don't know if this is what we're talking about, about Billy's involvement, because Billy's already in on this. Like, you know, he, he's just saying, oh, yeah, we'll be there. And Kirby later mentions having talked to Billy and everything. Uh, then we get them showing up for dinner with... Let's just say maybe one of the worst official theme songs any movie has ever had. Like, I know a lot of people out there like Randy Newman. And, like, uh-huh. you've got a friend in me kind of in a way fits the story. I don't know why Big Hat No Cattle. 
The most like no god like this is the most country sounding song ever which i don't know how country relates to jurassic park and it's not like you can have a movie where this is a song playing in the background they paid big big money to have randy newman do a theme song to jurassic park 3 which is included on the official soundtrack yes, as the only song on the soundtrack i was and listening we get, to the soundtracks the other day and these comes on like what the fuck is this like, all right okay yep. <laughs> yeah you get to the end, like, da 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 and then all of a sudden, big head, no cat. <laughs> what? Well, they are in Montana. They've got to entertain and it's such a bad... somehow. <laughs> it's, I will say it suits the scene. They're showing up at, like, this uh, country-type pool hall or whatever. It suits the scene, but why all this money for Randy Newman? And why... I don't know. Does You've Got a Friend in Me make sense in Jurassic Park? Like, this is the only Jurassic Park theme song as well. Am I wrong? No, you're you're right. Like, you know, we didn't get, um, I don't know, Celine Dion singing something in, like, Jurassic Park. Like, you're yeah. getting eaten. There's nothing to fear. I don't know. Uh, that's, okay, that's continue. the end of the song. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very short song. Yeah. Celine Dion was, you know, just busy that week. That's all she could write. Yeah. <laughs> uh Whoa, did you hear that one? What the hell happened there? Jamie's just seen a shirtless something. <laughs> What's she doing? Everybody's doing impression of the rapper resonating chamber here. <laughs> What's Jamie screaming about? That was a sneeze, actually. Oh, that a sneeze? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> usually like, a little chat laugh. <laughs> it really did sound like the rapper. Oh, oh. <laughs> well, that's the, the help cry. That's the help cry from the end. <laughs> we just see Jamie and Mallory in the background of every episode doing dinosaur sounds. Then we had the T-Rex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is sound effects to our Jurassic World month. <laughs> and in comes Owen. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We could just put together, like, a sound effects show for the Oz Network here. God. I encourage you to listen to um, our Double Oz 7 episode, where one of our many theme songs for our segments actually ends with a real clip that was recorded before a show where Noah fell off his chair very dramatically. I thought you were going to talk about For Your Eyes Only, where we just turned it into the sound of it, and here comes a horsey. Did it, did it, did it, did it, did Mustache on a horsey, one of the best names ever for an episode. <laughs> and then for some reason, the episode comes out. Noah's like, "I think we went too far in calling him Mustache. People are going to be upset." With him. Like, you really? called him Mustache, Noah Gross. It was a habit, doesn't he, Noah, of saying the wrong thing and then other people get the blame for it. Noah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm little Mr. Innocent because I'm in Korea. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, can you imagine the damage he's causing with saying the wrong thing in Korea right now? (laughs) You know why that Trump cancelled the summit? Because Noah said something wrong. Like... (laughs) Then Trump gets the blame. Thanks, Noah.
All right, the Kirby's here at dinner. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. This is gonna be a shorter sequence of scenes because we'll kind of get into the island stuff after this. But uh, just the way he sells them on this too, it's very over the top. Like again, like Richard Branson here. Uh, you know, uh, we've done the Nile, we've done the Galapagos, we did K two. We even. And when, uh, what is Mrs. Kirby's name again? Amanda. Like, uh, do they say it in this? Amanda. Okay. So Amanda then is like, we even have two seats reserved on the first commercial flight to the moon. And I'm thinking, like, that doesn't even exist. This, when you rewatch the movie and you know they're not these people, I could almost imagine, like, Kirby's like, all right, I've got this plan. It's like, you know, we're going to do K2 and the Galapagos Islands and everything. Like, yeah, and we're going to go to Mars and, and then Jupiter. <laughs> We got so much money, we don't even know what to do with it. <laughs> and, and Oleron. Oh, wait, I got blown up. Uh, Coruscant. We're going to Coruscant. <laughs> <laughs> She's really over this. And at no point is Grant suspicious of, like, we're not going to the moon. <laughs> Nobody is going to the moon. <laughs> but the way they sell him on this is just, yeah, we do all these things and we need somebody just to, you know, be our guide. This is our honeymoon or whatever. And, you know, uh, you've seen the animals in the flesh is the way he says it. And he just says, I could put all kinds of numbers on this page. This is one of the reasons I love Alan Grant, because Alan Grant is in no way a tough guy. We even talk about, like, the size and the stature of Ian Malcolm. But it's funny that he's not more of an action hero because he's, like, six foot three and, like, 220 pounds. And obviously, we've seen him shirtless. The man is ripped. So, woo, Jamie had a woo in the background. That was either sneezer or she liked <laughs> Jeff Goldblum shirtless. But we, we never see him in action, but yet he feels like he should be the tougher character. Alan here, just like I said in the previous scene, he's not afraid. It, it's more just, yeah, it's not a smart thing to go there. Because there was nothing that would lure Ian to go there other than, my girlfriend's already there. She's going to die if I don't go. Uh, here, Alan's like, yeah, you throw enough money at me, I'll consider it, you know? And, uh, I, I, it's one of those things, I guess, uh, that Sam Neill talked about, it just be, it being interesting playing Alan a few years later. This is one of the things that I think they did more successfully, and I'm not uh, a critic the way that a lot of people are. I'm more a defender like you are of saying, well, the differences in Ian Malcolm's character are acceptable, but personally I find the differences with Alan Grant's character to be a little bit more interesting to watch in this. Uh, but that just sets up Alan's – he doesn't even answer. He's just going to go to the island. Uh, and then we get one of those cuts that you were probably talking about. Just slow zoom in. I can write any numbers on this paper and slow zoom in as he starts to smile and then it cuts away. Yeah, we'll get to that. I think the thing with Grant is that he's just got a history of just bowing down to money. Like, let's be honest, Grant's a bit of a whore. Because, like, I mean, in the first movie, <laughs> it's like, we're really busy. We couldn't possibly leave the dig. I can do it by fully funding you did. All right, let's go. <laughs> like, it's really not that hard to get Grant on board with something. You know, no force on heaven or earth could get me back to that island unless you write a big fat check for me and I'll do it. Um, <laughs> so, um, just the scene with the mercenaries, like, are these the most, like useless characters in any Jurassic... Besides the kids in Jurassic World. Uh, because, like, there's nothing developed about these mercenaries at all. Uh, you know, they know them through his church. Uh, that's about it. I mean, we get a bit with Udesky, but other than that, like, Cooper and... That's Cooper! Uh, Cooper and Nash. Like, they're just there. Nash is there to just tick off the diversity string... Um, and you know what's going to happen to him anyway. Um, this scene, I remember seeing this in the movies. So they're there and they're, uh, you know, getting everything set up. As soon as that phone rings, 
I honestly didn't realise it was on camera. So I remember being in a cinema with my friend and I literally said really loud, you meant to turn your phone off in the cinema and then the person on the screen answered the phone. I was like, whoops, uh, that's embarrassing. Here you are, a cocky, arrogant 14-year-old kid. I'll tell them, you're supposed to turn your phone off and then everybody's staring back at you as they slowly realise, that's something on the screen, you idiot. I did that once while driving. I turned around to this corner and this car was like blocking the intersection. And I'm like, oh God, I'm so impatient. I'm like, beep, 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 beep. And then I, I don't know who was in the car. I was like, Ben, there's a traffic jam in front. They can't move. And I'm like, oh shit, sorry. I just do things without, you know, thinking. Um, anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, this scene is just, they're just pointless. I think kind of when you first see this film, you're like, oh yeah, what's happening here? But then it's just, it's nothing. Like, you don't even need this scene, I think. Like, you could just meet these guys on the plane and it changes nothing. Um, even kind of when you hear, like, um, Paul on the phone, like, oh, I don't know. I just, I think you could remove this. I mean, you don't want to remove it because then this film will be like 10 minutes long. But, um, you know, there's there's not a whole lot to this scene that you really need. Uh, I do like um, sexy paleontology here with... Um, what was he? It's yeah. um, Custer Troy's brother, right? Like, he was in Face Off, wasn't he? I'm Custer yeah. Troy! Woo! Yeah, Alessandro <laughs> Who I don't yeah. think I've ever seen in anything else after Jurassic Park 3. Like... Was he meant to go on to big things after this? Because I, I, I'm looking at his um, filmography here, and nothing. Um, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the only other one that I really remember him from, and this is only just because I'm such a big Christian Bale fan, was uh, right after this, Christian Bale did a movie called Laurel Canyon with Francis McDormand and Kate Beckinsale, and he, was, he had a major role in that. And I remember him from that, but... It really didn't go anywhere. It's funny because if you look before this, like Face Off came out four years prior to this, and that was literally his first role, and it's a huge role. And then he really didn't do anything after that. So I feel like Jurassic Park 3, like this should have been his big breakthrough role, and nothing happened. I don't know why, though, because we saw two separate movies, two completely different characters. And I mean, I don't think he's like extraordinary, but for the most part, he kind of nails two very different characters in two movies, and he's memorable in both. And, look, I have nothing against character Billy. I think he's fine. He's there. But, like, Billy might be the most forgettable major character in any of the Jurassic Park films. Just because, like... Yeah. He just... You I mean, take him out of this movie. He, nothing happens to different. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I think they should have killed him at the end of the movie. I, wow. I don't like that they brought him back. I think that that would have been better for his character if he had remained dead. But, I don't know. Like... I mean, if we rank the characters of Jurassic Park, like, where does Billy stand out on the grand scheme of things? I mean, he's no Nick Van Owen destroying everything every five minutes. Um, but, like, I don't know. But, um, yeah, and who's this girl, like, getting felt up by him? Like, smooth, rough, smooth. Um, <laughs> the, the bit where, like, I think it's amongst fans about the script and kind of is Billy sort of more privy to this plan by the Kirby's than it's ever led on and maybe just got lost in all the, the filming is the bit when Paul goes in and introduces himself to Grant. He just looks up and goes, Hey Billy. Like, it's like they know each other. It's like, that makes no yeah. sense. That's the bit where a lot of people are like, hang on a minute. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the bit where kind of Grant and, and Paul are talking outside the tent and you kind of look at Billy in the background, the way he's looking at them. 
Uh, it's kind of like he's expecting this to happen. Uh, and then obviously he forces the dinner to happen. But um, where is this bar in Montana? I want to go there. <laughs> like, just the way I love when they're walking in there, and the Grant like like he knows everyone because it's Grant. He's cool. But um, like these are meant to be some rich couple, as you said, kind of like you know a a Richard Branson type. But why are they eating in a dive bar in Montana? Like, is this the nicest restaurant near to the dig site? Is that it? Um, <laughs> yeah, like Grant, like at as Fort like, Peck Lake, Montana. <laughs> I bet it is. Again, we love Grant, but yeah, he's got to be a bit dumb. Like, first commercial flight to the moon. It's like, oh, really? Can I come? Like, you know, something along those lines. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you with William H. Macy. As much as, you know, I can't really stand T. Leone in this movie, I just think her character is pretty rubbish. Uh, I love, I love the character of Paul. Like, I like, I like the bit when we get to when he gets discovered. And it's like, you know, oh, K2, where you at 30,000 feet or 26,000 feet? And the way he's trying to defend himself, oh, that's a common mistake. Uh, like, yeah. just, <laughs> so he's good. got, he's got a really good way about it. Like, of really, like, actually digging himself out of things. So, yeah, I like William. Anyone who's married to Felicity Huffman's a fan of mine. So, yeah, I like William H. Macy in this film too. A fan of yours. Yes, they like me because of Felicity Huffman. <laughs> because she's such a big fan of yours that, that makes him a fan of yours. <laughs> yes. Come on, like, this is a pretty cool couple. William H. Macy and Tia Leone, who also have awesome, like, husband and wife. So, you know, there's a there's a group of four yeah. people you'd want to hang out with at Christmas dinner. Uh, so now we're going to get into the scene we've been waiting to talk about. You know, Quickly, we'll just oh. mention... Uh, we get introduced to Billy's lucky bag strap here, uh, which just I, I just like when he's the telling the story. Movie, where, come uh, on, <laughs> uh, how is it ripping up the second movie? Sarah's oh, the lucky, lucky pack. Bag. It's like two it. movies in a row with a lucky. Yeah. Like all the Jurassic Park movies are about are that lost kids and lucky packs. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, but with this scene. Uh, uh, first, I just think it's funny that, that Alan says to him, even with I pay, even with what I pay you, couldn't you afford a better bag? Thing like, he's an intern. Like, why? Maybe Alan wouldn't be running out of his money in only three weeks if he wasn't paying all these interns who by nature should be working for you for free because they are interns. And Billy's like, not exactly poor. He what can is afford he to go paying? hang gliding in New Zealand. Like, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. With all the sheep and all that, right? <laughs> Yay, Colin made a sheep joke about New Zealand. <laughs> ah, I gotta play to our listeners. Uh, but I just like when Billy's telling the story, like, Billy's not a big, bold guy. Like, he's very quiet throughout this movie, and that's kind of just the way, the thing that's interesting about his performance, is that he's not a guy that panics or screams or anything. And I just love when he's telling the story here. It's like, yeah, I was hang gliding in New Zealand, and I did this, and then uh, my thing caught, and then all of a sudden, wham! And he just gets really loud when he says wham, and then right back to his, and then this lucky strap saved my life. <laughs> the wham was almost like, that was the moment where Mallory and Jamie all of a sudden like, Achoo! And you know, you know that if this was uh, Vince Ford and Nick Van Owen, oh, you know, so I was uh, hang gliding in New Zealand. Oh, what were you doing in New Zealand? Women. women. <laughs> 80% New Zealand women. <laughs> Committing acts of terrorism and yeah. having a lot of sex. Bioterrorism while having sex. And so I'm basically James Bond, but environmentally <laughs> James Bond. <laughs> I'm gonna say this like I like Billy better than Nick Fano. Like oh, Nick Fano is kind a of a, big one call. of those fun. Well, like, 
You take away the urban legend we have created for Nick Van Owen being the true villain and the terrorist of this series. And, like, Nick Van Owen is in no way more interesting than Billy. I think Billy's slightly more interesting here because at least he has his own story arc that we're going to get to in a bit. Well, I mean, look, I see it. But, like, I think Nick Van Owen's more important to the plot of The Lost World than Billy is. I mean, like, yeah, okay, I get the whole oh. egg bit. But, like, have, have Amanda stealing the eggs. It's going to be exactly the same thing. Well, have... Julianne Moore committing all the terrorism, and then it's going to be the same thing in the Lost World. Julianne Moore, Julianne Moore wouldn't do that because her esteemed father, Dr. Harding, would not let her to do stuff like that. Oh, you mean Fine. letting the have, things all be done? Have Richard Schiff on the palm of horse and knocking off raptors from rafters. <laughs> oh, hashtag rest in peace, Eddie. I'm still not over that. Too soon, Colin. <laughs> I still just love every time my nephew is like, I'm sad that Eddie died. I'm like, who's your favorite character in all four Jurassic Park movies? Eddie. <laughs> like, really? I think we, we talked about like Eddie's death being like the most, you know, weirdest and the saddest one. I'm, I'm going to put an Enrique up there on the boat now that we know yeah. that's Enrique. Enrique? That's why he wasn't answering. He was dead. Who are your other favorite characters? Enrique and Udesky <laughs> and, and Cooper? Miss Ronnie. I like Miss Ronnie. That's not a joke. Actually, I oh, like Ms. the Ronnie's geeky guy. The, best thing about the, next one. the Jurassic World, I like the geeky guy. That first puck was legit, oh. man. <laughs> uh, That's we're cool. I like that, that guy. But, Leave him alone. Yeah, so. <laughs> you defended the dinosaur in San Diego. Uh, so, we get the whole cover story here with, uh, you know, Billy saying, well, how do you know the Kirby's? Oh, uh, through our church, which is just kind of a funny throwaway line. Uh, and now we get the moment we've been waiting oh. for here. So here is now. If you haven't seen this movie, it is absolutely hilarious that Alan has fallen asleep. And I've been defending like how how brave he Alan Grant is, and that he's not really afraid. But you still see he has a bit of that fear uh, when you know he all of a sudden wakes, looks like he's waking up from his dream, and you see the whole plane is empty, and he looks to his right, and he sees a raptor look him right in the eye and go, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> as the raptor speaks he suddenly wakes up and realizes just billy going alan alan now this is hilarious and it is goofy and it's not something you would ever it's so bizarre you would never see it in a Jurassic park movie you probably shouldn't see it in any movie <laughs> but here is my defense of this oh god um, no colin did not just utter the phrase oh, here is my defense of the alan scene in dress i'm out I'm yes no. look Opening, open. Ben, Ben, come back, Ben, come back. <laughs> I can't. Like of all the bad things I've said, like in my career on this show about dying on the day being good and defending songs and that. Like, no, that is not a sentence anyone wants to hear. In defense of the talking raptor in Jurassic Park, that says Alan. No, look, it's a dream sequence. I'll give you two reactions here. Oh. Opening day in the theater, completely sold out theater. This comes up, and as soon as the raptor appears, you hear like 200 people gasp, <gasps> and then all of a sudden burst out laughing. Now, clearly that was Joe Johnson's intention. It, but it, it accomplishes what they intended for it to accomplish. It gives you a quick startle, and then it's like, oh, that's ridiculous. Now, is it a great moment? No, it's hilariously bad, but... The idea that what you said last week, that you said this was worse than the gymnastics. It is! This is my argument for it. <laughs> this is three seconds long! 
The gymnastics is the entire subplot of Kelly's character. And it is the moment that defeats the Raptors for good. You have them doing battles with Raptors in the cars. You have Ian fighting a Raptor with a door. You have Sarah throwing Raptors off roofs. You have guys getting chased for Raptors in, in the long grass. And what is the moment that ultimately defeats the Raptors? A 13-year-old girl swinging as a gymnast and then drop kicking it out of a window. Now that is a major part of the movie. It is the major part of the Isla Sorna climax of this movie. This is a three-second shot. Okay, this is not something that I usually utter like out loud, but things that take three seconds don't always have to be memorable, all right? And this thing is just <laughs> is just terrible. Like, no, there is no defense for this. None at all. Like, you can do this so differently. Like, I get the laugh bit, but like, A, why does he need to fall asleep? Like, B, wake up and there's Malcolm saying something to him instead. C, like, have a raptor about to attack him that's so scary. Oh, a raptor's about to attack me. It's on the plane. Like, like, this has got no purpose. This is like, if we have a James Bond movie. What? No, I don't want to know why it's dumb. It's like if James Bond all of a sudden wakes up and there's a dinosaur standing on his head going, my name's Bond, James Bond. He wakes up, huh? what? And it's like, James, you're asleep. Like, it's dumb. It's stupid. It's stupid. Okay, but in all fairness, when people have dreams, this is what happens, especially when you're in a half awake, half asleep. Think, I can't tell you how many times I've been maybe watching a movie before bed and I'm falling asleep, but I can still hear the movie in the background. And all of a sudden in my head, I'm visualizing something happening in front of me. I can distinctly remember as a child having a dream where I woke up because I heard somebody talking outside my window and there was my friend, was my neighbor and my friend's dad. And the friend's dad was talking. Before you knew it, the friend's dad was a cow. Like a, a literal cow who is still talking in my friend's dad's voice. This is what happens in dreams. Like, do we need to see it? No. But it's a quick moment that gives you the quick jolt and then the laugh that's really funny, that's really stupid. And it still at the same time shows that Alan has some fear of these things. Could there have been a better way to do it? Maybe. But to say that this is as bad as the gymnastic scene, which is a major part of the entire climax of that movie. It is the entire subplot of Kelly's character. Like the two aren't even the same league. If this, if they made this a subplot where Alan continued to fall asleep, like they're sitting there in the bird cage and Alan has narcolepsy. And all of a sudden, Alan, Alan, you fell asleep again. And he's got a dream where there's a raptor shaking him on the shoulder. He's like, Alan, please wake up. Like, yeah, I can understand that being dumb. This is three seconds. Okay. I just, the, the bit about the talking cow doesn't really like mean anything to me because I know you grew up in like rural Canada. So that's probably a thing there, like, you know, talking cows. <laughs> but like, cows up your window talking. I just want to point out that again, I've said some stupid things on these podcasts over however long we've known each other. Some <laughs> dumb, dumb things. All right. I've had you two hang up on me. It's been that dumb. The things I've said on this show. And I stand by everything I believe in. <laughs> But Colin Hilding found a way to defend the raptor going Allen in Jurassic Park 3. Yes. And not me. That's the, no. Defending it against you saying the gymnastics scene was somehow better. Okay, like, the, the gymnastics scene is shit. It's terrible. But that's the second worst ever seen in the history of Jurassic Park franchise. This is the worst. No, There's nothing you can remotely That is a scene. No. This is a line of dialogue from a creature. It's not even a scene. 
I want to see the behind the scenes of filming this scene because like this is a person <laughs> with a puppet <laughs> putting his hand in a raptor's head and they've got okay uh action Sam wake up <gasps> no not scared enough do it again okay puppeteer like it didn't look like he said Alan it looked like he said George do it again with more with more you know gusto do it go on just no. This scene is rubbish. This scene is ridiculous. This scene is dumb. There's not a single thing you can defend about this scene. Colin Hilding, drop dead. We just had a nice podcast here. <laughs> We're doing no. <laughs> this three seconds is not even a scene. Moving on. Ugh. Um. So he wakes up. They're finally over the island here, and. Uh, you hear again the voiceover on the radio, which is you know saying, "Oh, you're in restricted airspace. Turn back immediately." Uh, there is a weird moment here where Paul turns to Amanda and he's like, "We did it, honey. We're here." And I'm thinking, like, once I rewatch this movie, I know that they're divorced. Why is he calling her honey? Because it's not like they're putting on a show for Grant anymore. They're they're basically saying, "Hey, do you see anything up there? Hey, why don't you land the plane?" They stopped putting on the show as soon as they got to the island before Grant even realized it. So why is he calling her honey? I don't understand. But they go back and forth where it's like, oh, do you guys see anything? No, I don't see anything. And Alan's like, what are you talking about? Look, look at those those brachiosaurus right over there. Oh, look over there. We got the Triceratops family um, having lunch. and Nobody's seeing this but me. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, we got a spot to land. And Alan's like, you can't land this plane. You cannot land on this island. And uh, Cooper hits him over the head. And all of a sudden, he gets knocked out. And when he comes to, what does he see when he comes to? He sees a raptor with William H. Macy going, Dr. Grant? Dr. Grant? No. (laughs) He just wakes up, and they're on the island. Wouldn't that be great if they just continued? There's your plot. There would be something that would define your argument of this being worse than the gymnast scene if it continued to come back. But anyways, they land on the island, and I, I just love, again, the subtle, tough guy things with Alan Grant, where he's like, oh, I can explain everything. And then he's like, who hit me? And he's like, I, oh, just give us a second. We're just setting up a perimeter. I said, who hit me? And he's like, oh, that would be Cooper over there, which, as you said, is the only time we even know who Cooper is. Uh, I love that Amanda's just screaming here, Eric! Eric! And then he's like, tell her that's a very bad idea. What a bad idea! Off, what? What's a bad idea? Um, then they they hear the roar and the this is something bigger than a T Rex. Uh, so th- I love that uh, they come back here and Nash uh, is basically saying, you know, we, uh, Nash Udesky, everybody's like, we got to take off now. What about Cooper? It's like Cooper can defend himself. <laughs> Just leaving this man to die. This is <laughs> the, the cowardly thing to do here. It is because you could think, oh, these guys are mercenaries or whatever, but they're basically running for the plane saying, yeah, Cooper, he's okay. He can take care of himself. And you see Cooper coming out, as you see in my profile pic, weeping like a baby. This is like the James Vanderbeek meme, weeping. (laughs) Like if you're like, please stop the plane, let me on. And they're just running from him. Uh, But this is an incredible sequence. So when people try to knock this movie, there's... I think at least three sequences that, that I could mention. I'm like, you can't say anything bad about this. And this whole plane crash and Spinosaurus thing is incredible. Just the way it's shot where the plane's like coming right up to Cooper. And then it just picks up as the Spinosaurus comes like seconds before the plane hits. 
the effects are amazing. The, the, the editing is, uh, is fantastic. The music's really great here. I'll, I'll say a few things about the music later on. But the way that that Spinosaurus just comes in and, like, chomps on Cooper, and the plane lifts up, and you see, like, the blood spray across the windshield of the plane. And then the plane just goes down, and it's great. And Alan tries to open the door, but he looks down, and they're in a tree. So this is familiar for him. He's still in the tree <laughs> from the first one. I just He closes the door. He's like, we haven't landed yet. <laughs> this great calmness about him. Uh, eventually, they, they fall out of the tree and everything. Uh, we get the big fight between the Spinosaurus and the T-Rex here. So this, along with the whole crash of the airplane, uh, the Spinosaurus attack on the plane, too. Now, this is probably one of the best uses of practical effects, too, because I remember when I first saw the behind-the-scenes stuff of this being made, like, we're talking when they first started filming this, and you're watching TV, like, here's the first images of, you know, the, the first days of filming. This is one of the first scenes they filmed. And they have, like, this Spinosaurus snout inside the plane. Like, it looks incredible. And the fact that this plane was tossed around, like, there's a lot of great documentary stuff about how incredibly complex the sequence was to film and it looks incredible on, on film uh then we get to the the carcass so as they're starting to get away from the spinosaurus or whatever uh they run to a carcass and it's like it's all right it's dead and then all of a sudden the t-rex looks up and nobody move a muscle and everybody just bolts and alan's like okay i better run too uh this leads to the t-rex spinosaurus fight so controversial with some fans who think that the T-Rex needs to be the biggest part of every movie. Again, I kind of like this movie for just being uh, a, a little something different and just giving you a break from the regular, uh, the regular stereotypes of the series and everything that the T-Rex is in here. And it's a big fight. I mean, this is the first time we've ever really seen a proper dinosaur fight in a Jurassic Park movie. We had the brief thing with the Raptors fighting the, the T-Rex at the, end of Jurassic Park 1, but this is like two minutes of dinosaurs wrestling each other back and forth, and eventually the Spinosaurus wins, so I don't know if you're in the group who are upset with the fact that the Spinosaurus kills the T-Rex right away. I think the Spinosaurus is different. It accomplishes everything the T-Rex does, but it helps this movie to feel a little bit different. It, it's got a different look to it, a different intensity, and just, again, the shock that uh, you are introduced to these characters, and 15 minutes in, like, maybe if you see this movie so many times, you, you lose sight of this, but the movie has changed the characters. The characters we thought were these rich billionaires, 15, 20 minutes in, now suddenly are kidnapping a man, and they've got a son lost on the island. Three of the characters that we were introduced to at the beginning of the movie, which you think are going to be like make up this team, are killed off immediately. And then you have the T-Rex appear and is killed off immediately. Like There were a lot of good surprises when this movie first came out. Where like In the first 20 minutes, I didn't expect any of this to, to come. Well, poor Udesky. Udesky's not dead yet, but thanks for killing him off already. Uh, he's still there. <laughs> but the one, it's, I mean, it's not really a plot hole, but I mean, it just, it's the one thing that I think the Kirby's go too far with, though, is that surely they could have just said to Grant, our son is missing, can you help us? And then that way we don't have to go through a level of this, like, if, you know, because we know Grant is going to go yeah. for money anyway. Like, hey, I'm rich, my son's missing. <laughs> have some money. Okay. Like that's all he needs to do. And then, then we can still get a lot of this stuff happening. Um, I love the, like, yeah, the island stuff is kind of fun. Like, I, as much as Teal Honey annoys me in this film, I do love the, what's a bad idea? Like shouting at the thing with the <laughs> megaphone. That's funny. And yeah, I love Grant. Like who hit me? Oh, that was Cooper. Um, I always like wonder though, when, um, 
they go off into the the jungle, and then we hear like a couple of gunshots, and then they come running back to the plane. Like, what is the Spinosaurus doing to them? Because, like, we only see a bit of blood on them. Like, this is a vicious freaking dinosaur. So, like, why is there only a tiny bit of blood? But I do I do love that how much they are of a dick to Cooper. Like, they go running... Where do you go? Where do you go? We're going to go right now. We'll just suck around the island. And it's like, what about Cooper? Yeah, he's a big man. He'll fight for himself. <laughs> like, these are, like, the worst people to <laughs> Like, this show... Like, this is, again, why we didn't need that scene earlier on with them blowing up a plane. Like, what does that achieve? Like, these are meant to be close people. No, they're not. They just leave him behind. Well, He'll fight for himself. <laughs> they get in the plane. And yeah, like, when he's just standing... And what's, what's the- better is that two minutes from now, we're going to have the Kirbys going on this tirade about our son was lost on this island and my boyfriend was lost on... Our former neighbor was lost on this island and our embassy wouldn't do anything about it. And meanwhile, they get there and they're like, let's abandon one of our team members. They, like, can we just establish in the world of Jurassic Park, no one gives a shit when someone else dies. This harks back to the very first movie. Oh, I think this was Gennaro. I think this was yeah. too. Moving on. <laughs> like, it's just like <laughs> no emotional connection. Poor Cooper here. He's, like, absolutely terrified, staring down a plane. Like, he's either mm. going to get killed by a dinosaur eating or a plane running over him. He's got no choice. Um, <laughs> standing in this thing. I love, I love, um, Nash when he's in the plane. Like, come on, man, you know I can't stop this plane. Like, he's one one-liner. Yeah. And, like, talking about, I just love the Alan line. That's Cooper! <laughs> <laughs> I, I need I need. He's Malcolm the one who hit me. Run him down. <laughs> I need Malcolm to be in the background going, how many Coopers do you think are on this island? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so show him some respect. Uh, <laughs> but, like... I, I agree with you for the most part about this whole sequence. Like, the bit where the plane takes off, you get kind of just the briefest glimmer of the Spinosaurus. And just, also, we went about Malcolm shouting out all the one-liners for the trailer in Lost World. That's that's Alan's job in this film now. Oh, the T-Rex sounds bigger. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just, you know, so many one-liners he has. But I I don't disagree with you for the most part. I do think the plane crashing looks a bit off when it crashes into the trees. Like, that, to me, looks a bit not right. Um, and there's maybe one or two scenes with the practical effects of the Spinosaurus that I just don't think looks right. Like, maybe just one or two of them. But the rest, yeah, like, I agree with you completely. Uh, poor old Nash getting eaten. I love when he's, like, being dragged out. And he's like, no, no, please help me! <laughs> and he just gets, yeah. like, eaten. Um... The thing that I I also like the bit when the plane's dropping down and the uh, no when the plane's rolling and you kind of got Alan's scream like on the window. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me a little bit of like the first movie when you've got like Lex and Tim scream in the window as they kind of cut past it. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, I do love when they they come across the T Rex. T Rex is like nobody move, <laughs> and then just the chase. The the fight like. I, I know it's extremely controversial amongst Jurassic Park. Like, people hate... The, like, there's such a portion of Jurassic Park fans who hate the Spinosaurus. Because they're like, oh, this is so untrue. And I think a lot of what has come out since this movie, based on what a Spinosaurus actually was, that's where a lot of people really are anti this scene, just because mm-hmm. I think it's been discovered now that the Spinosaurus kind of, like, walked on its 
four legs and like lived in the swamp. So like, you know, this is kind of impossible, but there's something about that, which I'll talk about in just a second. But I, I mean, this to me is maybe the best scene of the entire film. Like it's, and it's only, it's the thing is you also, it's like this whole movie. It's so quick. Like it's over in 60 seconds, but I just think it's epic. Like, as you said, this is the first time we've kind of got a dinosaur fight it is, to me, the best-looking dinosaur fight out of all the Jurassic Park movies. Like, again, taking out the first movie with a brief scene. We'll get to Indominus Rex versus, uh, you know, T-Rex and the Raptors next week. But, I mean, I think the special effects in this hold up more than Jurassic World's special effects, weirdly. Mm. Like, I don't know. I think this looks realer. You don't necessarily well, all see this as special effects, if you know what I mean. But also, you know, for all those people who are who are big fans of practical effects and they don't like the CGI... This movie probably had the least amount of... I wouldn't say it has less than Jurassic Park 1 just because the technology wasn't there, but certainly compared to The Lost World. Like, The Lost World, Spielberg decided to go primarily CGI with a little bit of animatronics. This movie is probably about 50-50. Like, there is a whole lot of animatronics in this movie. In fact, I think there's only one dinosaur. Uh, the Pteranodons are the only ones that they, that they had maybe one shot that was animatronic just because they couldn't get it to work right. But, like... Anytime you have the up-close shot of Spinosaurus, it's animatronic. This entire plane scene is animatronic. You know, uh, the fight, one of the interesting things on the, the DVD or the Blu-ray, they talk about the fight, is that for the first time ever, they had an animatronic character because they would have the Spinosaurus was animatronic, but then the T-Rex was CGI. So you have an animatronic dinosaur and a CGI dinosaur fighting, and it's seamless. You can't tell yeah. that unless you actually were you know, watching the, the behind-the-scenes stuff. And we'll talk about Jurassic World next week with some of the special effects. Like, it's not hammy. Like, it still looks good, but it's like, there's that level now with, with effects where you can really tell, if you know what I mean. And I think that kind of, mm-hmm. a lot of that is lost. And we'll talk about Jurassic World that a lot of that is lost in the fact that they didn't use a lot of practical effects in Jurassic World. They kind of went full CGI. Um, and particularly when it comes to the T-Rex look in Jurassic World, that, that affects it. But, I mean, I can see why people, I guess, are annoyed because, you know, T-Rex should be the star of Jurassic Park. Fair enough. But, I kind of, going back to what I said at the very beginning, I like how this is a unique one. This is a film about the Spinosaurus. And we talked about this last week about how, you know, the raptors were very briefly shown mm-hmm. in The Lost World and kind of they're back here. I mean, the T-Rex is literally in this movie for, what, 60 seconds and then that's it. And I, I, I don't know about you, but I remember seeing this the first time, assuming that we were going to get the T-Rex back again at some point. But no, we didn't. Like, that. that's it. Thank you very much for coming, T-Rex. And I love mm-hmm. the T-Rex, but I'm fine with it being, you know, kind of just here and gone. I, I think that the way they did this then in the Jurassic world and brought the T-Rex back in that hero capacity works really well. So I think kind of, you don't want it to be the same dinosaur as, as much as we say, these films, four films are kind of the same movie. At least kind of each of them has their own unique take on dinosaurs, you know, like dinosaurs are the different, mm-hmm. they're the stars of these movies anyway. But, um, I think the interesting thing with the Spinosaurus though, yeah. is that and um, a lot of, hello, hi, did I interrupt you or did you interrupt me? <laughs> Or did you talk to Jamie? I don't know what just no. happened there. I think we got a delay going on here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I was just going to say that with the Spinosaurus, I think, and a lot of this... All is right, shut up. Coming... I got something important to say. Oh, Jesus. Calm down, Colin Hilding. Take a biscuit or something. But <laughs> so <laughs> in the lead up to Fallen Kingdom, there's this website that's been released, uh, dinosaurprotectiongroup.com. And on this website, they've got a lot of documents on there which are kind of like the history of InGen and what happened with Mezrani and kind of it's going into a lot of the political side of what's happening with the cloning and protecting them and everything along those lines and a lot of what they've tied in with Jurassic Park 3 
is that sort of after the events of the Lost World, when Isla Sauna has kind of been protected, there was a, like a, a, a Congress hearing that kind of banned any form of, you know, genetic engineering, and they weren't meant to be doing this. So we're going to get that scene very shortly where they discover this is a Spinosaurus, and they're like, oh, this wasn't on InGen's list. So InGen, at this point, were going behind all these government regulations and were making these dinosaurs as tests. So in the timeline, it's kind of the Spinosaurus was sort of created after the Lost World and then put on Site B as kind of a test. And there's lots of fan theories that the Spinosaurus actually was genetically modified similar to the Indominus Rex. So there's a big fan theory out there that the Spinosaurus actually is the first genetically modified dinosaur, not the Indominus Rex. And there's some interesting theories about it, like read about it, the videos on it, very fascinating. I don't know what I believe on it. I mean, this is kind of the, the theories they had on Spinosaurus at the time, but that's where a lot of people also argue, like, that's the only way it could beat the T-Rex because it was genetically modified and all this sort of stuff. But... I, I like the fact that this Spinosaurus lives in its own world that we kind of haven't really had it back since. I mean, we talked about the Dilophosaurus in Jurassic World that we haven't seen it back since. I mean, it's only really that and the Spinosaurus that we haven't seen back since. Um, I would like to see the return of a Spinosaurus, definitely, but I, I kind of just like the fact that it lives in its own world. And can we just point out, Spinosaurus is actually really dumb. Like, a lot of the things it does in this movie, it's a dumb dinosaur. <laughs> but I, yeah, my point is I like the scene. It's a great scene. I like the fact that we've got our own sort of unique dinosaur in this film alone. The fact that they use that in the logo as well is great. But uh, yeah, I like the Spinosaurus. I'm a fan of it. So yeah, that's my point on this point of the movie. All right. So we immediately cut uh, from this to Grant finally getting to punch somebody. <laughs> he punches <laughs> out Kirby here. And uh, this is where they start to explain all the, this is where the character just changes and it's funny how he suddenly goes from being as you said really good at putting on this show to just being absolutely awful uh he tells a story about you know the the embassy uh just tell him to accept the inevitable or whatever they say oh we got divorced a year ago and this is where it just gets really funny the the, the comic uh chemistry that all of these actors have, and I think that it also helped having. I, I don't. I've never seen Sam Neill in anything funny before, but he is actually really funny in this movie. But having like Taylor Leone and uh, Michael Jeter and William H Macy, who all are really good at comedy, helped this movie a lot. Because uh, when you looked at the, some of the stuff you talked about in the last scene, I mean, this movie is arguably the most graphically violent of the Jurassic Parks, and yet it feels more like a kids' movie than any others. And I think. The tone of the movie, particularly with the actors, is what helps that. But I love right here where it's like, oh, they said we needed somebody to been on the island before. And Grant's like, I've never been on this island. Sure you have. You wrote that book. Like, as if that's going to remind <laughs> him, he's like, oh, wait a second. That's right. This was the one with the dinosaurs. Okay, I remember now. <laughs> <laughs> There's a flare that I um, held out to the T-Rex before. There it is. Yeah, it's all coming back to me. <laughs> sure you have. You wrote that book. And then Billy's response, like, this is what I said about Billy just never panicking. He's actually smiling this entire time. He goes, that was Isla Nublar. This is Isla Sorna, Site B. And then they're trying to move on with the conversation. There's this whole thing going on. It's like, wait, there's two islands with dinosaurs? Like, enough with the, the islands. Forget about that. Racist, uh, racist William H. They, Macy. They, basically, he's basically saying they all look the same. That's basically, oh, all the islands look the same. <laughs> Uh, in this region, yeah. Uh, so, Grant eventually is like, 
uh, okay, we're, none of you are going to get off this island alive. That, that's where I love it. He has the humor, whereas Ian Malcolm didn't have the humor. Grant's here. He knows they're probably going to die, and he's taunting these people. And Grant's a way more fun character in this than he was the first time, because uh, he was sort of the straight man the first time. Uh, but when he starts to leave and uh, the Kirbys are like, saying to Udesky, well, what are we going to do? And they're like, well, we're going to go look for your son in the direction that those guys are going. They're like, excellent <laughs> point. Let's go. Let's follow <laughs> uh, Great comic stuff here. Uh, we get the scene coming up where the Kirbys are changing in front of each other. And uh, this is the weird old married couple or a divorced couple who suddenly are attracted to each other again because he started swimming and now he's in good shape. Uh, <laughs> fat shaming T. Leone. That's why you cheated on him. You went and slept with Ben because William H. Macy was fat. <laughs> exactly. That is exactly what they're saying. Uh, this would totally be cut if it was in a movie nowadays. Uh, you get the scene you mentioned here about um, the, the InGen's list or, or when Grant's asking him, you know, what is this dinosaur? And Billy's like, oh, it's Sukumimus, it's Baryonyx. And those were two of the other ones they debated about using to replace the T-Rex in this. Uh, eventually went with the Spinosaurus. And when he says, you know, it makes you wonder what else were they were up to here. This is the stuff which was the original subplot. So when Joe Johnston was making this movie... And they were that close to production. And they brought on, they basically brought on two new writers. Now, what's weird about this is that this is almost feels like half a movie. But the two writers they brought on, Alexander Payne and Jim Taylor, these guys are like multi-time Academy Award nominated writers and directors. You know, they did the movie Election in 99, which they had just finished. Uh, they were about to do the movie About Schmidt. Sideways came out a few years after this. The Descendants, Nebraska. Literally everything these two guys touch gets nominated for Oscars. And I remember them being brought on at the last minute to write the screenplay. And I think this is, they were the guys who came on, you know, closer to when they got on the set. And this is the subplot that eventually they just realized was too complicated for whatever reason. And it's playing on two things. One's going to come up later, but two things still remain in this movie that show us that subplot. This here about the whole InGen uh, making the Spinosaurus, it was on the list or whatever. And then later on, there's going to be another one, which I'll talk about when that comes up. But this is the only moment that remains in the movie. And it, it does feel kind of weird watching this, that they kept this line in. Because based on all we can speculate, Joe Johnston was making this up as he went along. Probably when they filmed this scene, said, hey, we're still going to have this subplot about why the Spinosaurus is here or what other dinosaurs InGen was keeping secret. And then eventually, throughout the course of filming, said, let's scrap that subplot and not even film it. But then why keep the line in there? It just it feels weird. But I also just like speculating about what that could be. And I like like the the, the theories you were talking about, which I'm interested to hear what the, uh, this guy says about the other one that's going to come up later on. Uh, here, the <laughs> Granton... <laughs> William H. Macy is so funny here. When Grant and Billy discover him trying to put on his backpack, so this big adventurer, they still don't realize who he is. They know that he's looking for his son. And he cannot get one half of his backpack on. It's just a hilarious sight. And they come up and they're like, so when you base camped for K2, did you do it at 25,000 or 30,000 30, feet? He goes, uh, uh, 30,000. We were pretty close to the top. Like, Actually, you were 1,000 feet above it. And like you said, he just stumbles and goes, no, no, no. That's a common mistake that people make. <laughs> you just won't give up on it. But, like, William H. Macy brings so much to this movie. And 
you know, the chemistry with all these actors is fantastic, as it is in all the movies, even the Lost World that I was mentioning. I think the chemistry with the actors is all great. But we get so much character development. And, like, again, here we're, like, barely half an hour into the movie, but we already know so much about the Kirbys, and just more gets revealed in every single scene. Every scene, William H. Macy especially, uh, every scene he's in this movie gives you something new about his character. We just had the thing about, you know, he's took up swimming and whatever to get in shape after his divorce and, uh, you know, hear him stumbling through it. <laughs> and this is where he reveals, uh, you're not actually, you know, uh, an import-export, are you? It's like, uh, I own a hardware store. I paint and tile store, as he said. <laughs> and I love that the detail he goes into here, too. He goes, oh, we're on the corner of this and this in Enid, Oklahoma. <laughs> He's giving them the direction. And this is like, currently got a 20% off on uh, coral paints. <laughs> and, what did you say about uh, the plus? The plus, the plus means for fitting and whatever it is. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, plus for, for tiles and fixtures. <laughs> he, he's selling his business here, but he's doing it so awkwardly. I love him in this movie. Uh, so there, it's a great, this is the line you said, we're in the worst place in the world, we're not even getting paid, and he's like, hey, I will make sure you get your money. If you ever have a bathroom or a kitchen that you're redoing, and they just cut the line off. So much funny stuff in this movie that does not feel like too funny. Um, Udesky's backstory comes out here, and again, so much backstory for such a short movie, and one of the things I appreciate about this movie is not necessarily this is the greatest movie ever made, it's like we talked about, under the circumstances, how they're able to make this work, and also how much they fit in with these characters by basically cutting this movie down to you know less than an hour and a half. And you realize he's not even supposed to be there. He's sort of the guy who puts these teams together. You know, he recruits everybody, and then he walks. He's Bruce Willis in The Expendables. You know, uh, he, he's not a team member. He just puts it together, but he has to tag along. Uh, there's a hilarious part here, here again where. Uh, Amanda's still calling for Eric, and he goes, Dr. Grant says to the baddie, he's like, oh, Dr. Grant, Dr. Grant. <laughs> really really uh, pissy about it. And <laughs> the, my favorite line in this entire movie is coming right up here with uh, Paul, where he goes, well, fine, you keep screaming, and then when the tricycloplots comes, don't come crying to me. <laughs> tricycloplots, officially my favorite dinosaur of all time. <laughs> that would be so funny if in Jurassic you World they had him instead of God. making it the Indominus Rex, they'd have called it the tricycloplox. <laughs> the tricycloplots, yes. <laughs> and then and you Udesky is the like the, this married couple's fight. <laughs> when they're going back and forth what did you just say to me nothing what did you say like this is such a married couple arguing and then you desky looking at billy and is like if we get separated i'm going with you guys <laughs> uh i'm gonna cover a lot of stuff here all the way up until we get to the visitor center or maybe even a little bit of the visitor center they find the parasail uh this is uh where the the, the camera comes in as well uh Udesky has some big trick to make the camera work and we see they kept it rolling and Ben's still in the tree there's the corpse that's that's the biggest moment that got a jump out of the theater mm-hmm. and I would put that up there with like you know the, any moment in Jurassic Park 1, 2, 3, 4 when that body comes down out of the tree it was just like like everybody had a heart attack on the spot but again I have to wonder this thing still has the parasail attached to it. Why is it shirtless? This thing is not wearing a shirt. It's like he landed you in a tree and it. said, 
Man, it's hot in this tree. Yeah, it's hot did, in this tree. Let me take my shirt off, but keep these straps on my shoulders. To, to interrupt you, you doesn't can really actually, make any there is a brief there is a brief glimmer of his shirt if you actually do pay attention. I noticed it this time around. It's very brief. Uh, well, as we said, the body slowly decomposes in uh, the Costa Rican jungle, but shirts will disintegrate in seconds. Apparently. <laughs> uh, so they end up taking the sail, which is going to become important later on. Uh, you mentioned where Amanda runs off, and uh, I'm sorry about Ben. It's not Ben. It's Eric. He's still out there. I don't care that my boyfriend's dead. <laughs> they call, oh, we found something. There's the raptor eggs. Uh, they're all, ooh, ah, scary. And then comes the running and screaming and everything. <laughs> and uh, as they walk away, I was like, where's Billy? I was just getting some shots of the raptor's nest. Don't do that again. And I will cut off there because even though that not a lot of major things happen there there's basically about 16 scenes in 16 minutes so anything else you want to talk about on there just quickly i'm looking at that scene with the skeleton yeah like the 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 shirt is on him it's just very faded and dank but it's the same shirt he's wearing at the beginning that weird hawaiian sort of shirt thing um where did you start off with uh welcome to jurassic park are we there yet um (laughs) (laughs) punching punching kirby oh punching yes (laughs) i want there to be like a cheesy one-liner like instead of like who hit me he's like i hit you or something like that i don't know um (gasps) apparently i think the baryonyx is meant to be in jurassic world fallen kingdom from what i've read so uh we get a mention Mm. of it here obviously as you said so we're going to see that finally um but yeah i i touched on before as i said with the theories and that around in jen's list and everything it's it's a good reading it's a good viewing out there so a lot of the sort of the backstory around this um which they've made canon which i think is really interesting to kind of even the new creators and everything of jurassic park and jurassic world are not ignoring uh you know they're not doing a star wars oh the prequels never happened um you know they're actually kind of you know yeah putting this as still part of the the canon another one of those cheesy editing bits is when he does say like you know we're not going to make it off this island alive like just the way they zoom on in on him it's it's kind of like your I theories like of, eh, it's kind of like your Halle Berry jinx dine other day moments of like it's just you don't mm-hmm. need to zoom in the way they do like just the line's fine but um I like when they're revealing about the paint and then, I, I don't know if it's like this, the scene directly afterwards when your desk, he's like, so you're on a paint and tile place. You just never know about people, do you? Like, yeah. just the way he's like questioning you. Um, the cat, like, again, I went over my thing with Ben before, like, it's just, poor Ben, here he is dead. Like, do they have a funeral for him, a quick little burial for him? Um, and wh- why doesn't the US government care? enough to send rescue teams in like the way he's like that's our u.s government won't help us they said there's nothing we can do is this a thing like was this george w bush's america in 2001 <laughs> like oh we will not send people to save dinosaur <laughs> like i don't think that's a thing like uh, trump maybe Look, but this is pre-9-11 yeah well true true exactly <laughs> this is post-9-11 the dinosaurs are terrorists um we must go in and destroy them <laughs> Um, how does Udesky get a camcorder to work based on AA batteries? That's my question. I have no idea. <laughs> they have, like, proper lithium batteries on camcorders. Like, how does he get... Oh, I've got an idea. What, you can use your flashlight batteries? No, that's not a thing. Uh, but I do like the filming when you're actually watching the footage. Um, the fact that they're not saying what actually happened in that scene. Um... 
That's just a little thing. But again, I want to know what happened to Ben. How, like, how is he dead? And where, like, Eric's just done a runner on him. Like, what's killed him that he's still stuck in the tree after they've just landed? Uh, and that's, that's one of my things too, which I think a lot of people complain about. And we'll get to Eric. Like, how does Eric survive eight weeks on this island? There is like, there was a whole book series on this, which it kind of details, like the, the T-Rex P moment. Like, that's actually in one of the books. It explains how he gets it. So there is actually a, a young children's book series based on him surviving on the island. But, you know, this 12 year old with pubes surviving on the island, basically. Um, yeah, the, the I, one thing, as much as I don't like Tia in this movie, I do like, I weirdly like her acting in this bit where the where Ben lands like the skeleton, she's all tangled, and the way she kind of runs off and she's like rubbing her body, like, ah, ew, 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 ew. like you would be like that if a dead body yeah. touched you. Like, I do like her reaction. Um, and then, yeah, the, I do like Grant's reaction when he sees the eggs and he kind of goots up and he's all scared and he's like, raptors. Like, you know, he's like, he's terrified of yeah. it. But, like, just the bit with Billy when he's, like, coming away from the nest and he's just acting so kind of, like, paranoid about it. Um, you know, again, Grant, not the smartest tree in the, the forest in this whole movie. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's small little subtle bits setting up. But, yeah, I don't really have a whole lot more to add. You covered most of it. So now we get to the visitor center, which we're seeing it from a different angle, a different point of view. Uh, whether or not this is the exact same building for Lost World, we don't know because it looks different. It's, it's also broad daylight. Uh, we're seeing different parts of it. But there is the moment, though, as they're approaching it and they come across that SUV or Jeep or whatever where the windows are, well, like, you know, beaten up. To, to interrupt you, Grant to interrupt looks you, at it, the was, window. it was meant to be. So, like, the script, it says, think the Lost World, like, this is meant to be, but... Then based on, again, mm-hmm. the theory that, like, this has to be on the completely different side of the island to where they were. So, I, it was written that it was meant to be, but then it's not. It is different, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they get inside the visitor center, another really hilarious moment with um, William H. <laughs> Macy here when he gets to the, the vending machine. He's like, uh, who's got some change? I got, like, a, a buck twenty-five... And he's actually thinking, let me pay for change. And all of a sudden, Billy and Udesky or whatever just kick the thing open and grab it. And he's like, what am I doing? He tries to kick it and he just basically falls flat on his back. It's so funny. Uh, but the, the movie gets like really serious here. And th- this is, I think I talked about this in the first movie too, that nobody really knew what raptors were. So how you sold how intimidating raptors are is the seriousness the characters talked about them with, especially with Grant. And that scene where he had little Whit Hertford, um, you know, crap in his pants because he was talking about how it would uh, spill his bowels out. But like you mentioned, the, the previous scene where he's like raptor eggs, like he's all serious. And even when they get in here, and it's like, oh, so is this how you make a dinosaur? And he's like, no, this is how you play God. Like he suddenly becomes like really dark and serious. Uh, the tone of the movie ch- changes suddenly, and. There's so many little visual things that Joe Johnson does that I wish he got more credit as a director for. Like, no, it's not the same as Steven Spielberg, but I don't know if a lot of people would have been clever enough to come up with something like, you know, Amanda walking through, seeing the embryos sitting inside these things. Then you get to the one full raptor head, and even in the audience, I was completely fooled into thinking this is part of it. And then you just have the eye move slightly. Like, it's such an effective shot where they reveal the raptors there and also showing the raptor intelligence. 
another moment I just remember everybody just jumping at when this played uh, in front of like a, a big uh, a big crowd. But I just love the subtlety of that shot. That it's not like the raptor all of a sudden just jumps right out at you. It's like its eye moves slightly, and that's almost way more scary. And we get the first little raptor scene here where they're all running to the back and they block themselves behind the cages. The one raptor gets stuck by the door and you see it call for help the first time. This is a little bit of a cheesy moment, but again, I love the cheesy stuff with this movie that it's not trying so hard to be serious. When they're finally starting to get away and the raptor that's stuck is like, he's basically sneezing like Jamie's like, ah, ah. (laughs) And Grant just has one of those weird zoom-ins, like you said. It's like, it's calling for help. (laughs) File that away in your memory. It's going to be important in about 20 minutes. Uh, they eventually get away from the raptors here. Uh, we'll slowly get separated getting away from the raptors. Uh, when everybody but Grant is basically hiding up in the trees. Uh, well, everybody but Grant and Udesky. And they just hear Udesky screaming. Another thing that's just really affecting this movie. like There's some great sequences where it's not what you expect. And there's things that are kept off screen that are better. Like Udesky screaming. And then when they come back, there's that shot, which I'm going to put up there as probably the most violent shot in any Jurassic movie ever, where Udesky's on the ground, and the raptor basically just sticks a claw into his spine, mm. and you barely see it, but it's just what's implied that's like so disgusting and violent and graphic. It's, it's not something you, I think you would see even in the first two movies. Uh, so Grant actually picks up Billy's bag when he's running away too. So he gets separated here after they realize the Raptors left a trap for everybody else. A gas grenade comes in. This is probably the only moment in the movie where I'm going to say, oh, there's no way a 12-year-old kid is doing that. I don't know how a 12-year-old kid learns to operate a gas grenade. (laughs) But a guy comes and scoops up Alan, dumps him into a water truck, and you find out that this is Billy. Uh, I love the scene that's going to come up, but I know a lot of people complain about this movie where they say, a 12-year-old survives on the island on his own for eight eight weeks or whatever. I always, from the very first time I saw this movie, I always said to people the same thing. I'm like, if they had said that this was a 13-year-old kid, why does that suddenly become more believable? Because I have yet to hear a person argue that a 13-year-old kid wouldn't have done better on this island. But it's like, He's 12, maybe he's almost 13. It's something about the age 12 where, like, well, he's still a kid. But if you say a 13-year-old kid survived on this island for eight weeks, I like to watch these survival – like, one of my favorite things to do is just watch these documentaries on, like, people who, you know, maybe got stuck in a blizzard in the snow or uh, people who climbed up a mountain or even just regular people, you know, and their survival stories. I love survival stories. Things like this happen all the time to kids even younger than this where they'll survive days on their own with no provision – and here he has everything he needs, and he, he knows a lot about dinosaurs, but it's just, it feels like people take so much out on this movie for a 12-year-old kid surviving, but if he was 13, you look at it completely differently, and I just don't get that. I think it doesn't matter what age is to me, like, I just don't see how he survives at all. Like, I mean, if this was an 18-year-old kid, I'd still be asking the same questions. To me, it's got nothing to do with the age. It's just, does he really survive on this island, a dino death island? Well, he's got shelter. Food. He's T-Rex P. Um, yeah. <laughs> if, if great mercenaries like Nash can get eaten within five seconds of landing on the island, how does little whiny bitch of an Eric kid get... I don't know. Well, they don't know anything about dinosaurs, too. But um, I, I just... I think it's... I, I don't think there's anything wrong with him being on the island. I mean, for one, it is a kid's movie. You know, but two... 
his age, if he were 13, I feel like the majority of people accept this more. Yeah, I mean, I see it, but I, again, it doesn't matter what age. I just don't like Eric. I'm sorry. Uh, like, I know the whole plot around this movie is basically to save the son, but once he gets rescued, he serves no purpose to this plot. So, uh, I mean, it's just, at the end of the day, find his, find his dead body in the tree. Oh, what a shame. Eric's dead. Let's just get off this island now. Like, that's, you know, save Ben instead. Um, I do like the line when they see the visitor center and William H. Messi, I bet you Eric's in there. I bet my bottom dollar. Bottom dollar. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I I completely agree with you. I I love the vending machine bit. Actually, just before I get to that, I, yeah, I, it's, it's interesting reading all these theories and that about like this being the lost world. Cause I always assume that too when I first saw this, but I think it's also, it's, if you actually look during the lost world of where they are, it's not the same area just because it's, it's in a completely different, like the the style of the building is different as well. But I think it's a lab. Initially, it's not a visitor yeah. center. It's a lab. Yeah, and they initially wanted this to kind of be the same, but as I said, I kind of changed it around. And I think there would be more continuity issues if they had to kept this as the same Lost World bit because the feel of both movies is different with the the scenery and everything. And then again, the question of where the Spinosaurus was. I mean, I know it sort of was created after the lost world, but I, I just think there would have been more issues had that been the case. So I'm glad that it's not. Um, but yeah, I love the vending machine bit when he limps off after he like kicks the thing. Um, and I love that shot too, when they're walking through and you see the, the silhouette of the Raptor running in the background. I think that's a great shot. Um, and I also love Tilione seeing the phone. Oh, yeah, why not? Um, and just a little anal sort of, uh, obsessive compulsive thing. It really annoys me that she doesn't put the phone back on the hook. Like, she just sits it on the desk. <laughs> like, put it back on the hook! Damn it! What <laughs> if the phone lines just suddenly come up again and now somebody can't receive a call? Yeah, I know, right? Like, come on. Um, but I, like, I, I agree with everything you said. Like, it's really tense, like the raptor head, and that looks really cool. And I remember that in cinema, like, everyone jumped as well. But, like, the logistics behind that, is there really a raptor that smart? Like, I know we're meant to believe they're smart, but are they capable of just standing still, like, shit, here comes some humans, I'm going to pretend to be, like, this woman's clearly going to look into a glass case and think I'm ahead. Like, really, are they that smart? I mean, they're hunters, and especially these ones, like, unless we're to believe these are the same, the very same raptors who are on the island, well, even then, the raptors, even on Isla Nublar, never interacted with humans. So it would all still be instinct. And what this raptor is doing, hiding behind it, is it's basing it on human nature. It would have mm-hmm. to assume she's going to be interested to look at these things. But they've never seen humans before. So it really doesn't make sense. But it's a cool visual. Yeah, absolutely. agree. Like, it is cool. But, yeah. But it's kind of like you've got to assume that other humans have been killed in this area, though. Because, like, when we get to the pterodon scene, there's a skull oh, on yeah. one of those little mm-hmm. things. So, the, you know, you've got to assume that there's something there. But um, one thing I think you briefly touched on it that I actually really like about this movie and kind of the development of, like, what raptors look like and how you actually have feathers on some of their heads. Yeah. Um, and th- I remember watching mm-hmm. a documentary on this, how they explained why they did that. Um, and it's also kind of like an, a, an evolution thing as well, isn't it? Like, I mean, you know, this is eight years into dinosaurs being back on Earth, so, of course, they're going to kind of slightly evolve and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I love the the bit when they shove the cage on the raptor and it's kind of like climbing up. Yeah. Um, then when they run into like the herd of dinosaurs and we kind of, you know, get a few of the 
herbivores. Again, like, it's a bit convenient, though, isn't it, that they just happen to run outside and they're all herbivores? Like, imagine if they ran out and this was, like, the T-Rex family meeting. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, like, shit. <laughs> just running through them all. Um, I do love how Grant is nice enough to pick up uh, Billy's pack. But poor old Udesky dumps his pack and doesn't pick up Udesky's pack. Um, we, we just need one of them to go, don't go into the long grass! Please don't go into the long grass! As they're running through this field. Um, I do love that shot of, like you said, the graphic one of Udesky getting stabbed in the back. I just love the way they follow the legs and the way the camera mm-hmm. like moves. Like That's an amazing looking shot. That's fantastic. Um, and I do kind of like the bit, I don't know if I've jumped ahead here or you missed it or anything, but like the, the set of trap scene, the way they're kind of like, you mm-hmm. know, the, that's another kind of one liner for the trainer, the trailer. They actually set a trap. They actually um, set a trap. But yeah, like Eric, like it's just, we talk about convenience models in movies. <laughs> like where is he in this thing? Like what's he doing? Is he just out in his weird little camouflage dress and all of a sudden his raptors just happens to be carrying gas bombs? Like, I don't know. It's a very convenient scene. But I do like his little hideout, though, in the little, uh, the truck. The which, water um, truck. Yeah. I mean, it's, as much as Eric gives me the shits, I do kind of like this scene, though, between him and Grant, particularly the Malcolm nod, which oh. I know we talked about last week. Yeah. Now, this is actually one of the things that I really like about Eric's character. I think if Eric was just a character on his own, I mean, he's, he's just there. He's not significant in any way, but it's the interactions that he has with Grant that I love, and it's very similar to, like, Tim and Lex in the first one, but I, I feel like there's a little bit more here, maybe because Eric is older. Um, there's this scene here, and then the other one coming up on the boat later on, which I absolutely love the interactions between them. And I think the two actually, like Trevor Morgan, who played uh, uh, Eric, for one, I think he's a better actor than some of the other kids we've gotten in these movies. Um, you know, he's up there with the two in the first movie, at least. Uh, but the way that him and Sam Neill play off each other is great. Like, it doesn't feel like a kid doing a dialogue scene. And on the Blu-rays, uh, the actor Trevor Morgan did a recent, more recent interview where he was talking about, you could just tell like he had this reverence for Sam Neill. All he does just, just some of was, was like, so cool. He was, he was amazing. He was like, he has this total man crush on Sam Neill. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Who doesn't? and it totally shows on screen. Like, you have to at least give me these two characters work great to, with each other because, in a movie that's so fast paced and is, you know, 82 minutes before the credits or whatever, this dialogue scene coming up here is probably you know, three, four minutes long. And it's a, it's the longest dialogue scene in the movie. And I don't get bored in it. I, I agree. Yeah. And I think he, I mean, I have nothing against Trevor Morgan as an actor. I think he, I agree with him. He's a great actor. And, you know, when it comes to children being annoying based on their acting abilities, he's not one of them. I just don't like the character. I just think he's kind of, ugh. But yeah, I agree with everything you said there. And it's just interesting. I've just Googled Trevor Morgan. Can I just point out, bit of a doppelganger for Noah Groves. There's a few of these photos here that he really looks like Noah. <laughs> um, there's one here in particular, uh, Queer Theatre Kalamazoo. Uh, I don't know if this is the same Trevor Morgan, but Jesus Christ, he looks like Noah. Um, but yeah, this this whole scene, I just love it. I just love the Malcolm references. Oh. You know, like well, did you also read on, Malcolm's book. Sorry, I'm stealing your yeah, thing. Yeah, no. Uh, um, this there's so much good stuff in this scene here. Like the T Rex P, it's hilarious too. Where he's like, "Oh, be careful with that." Uh, uh, it's T. He doesn't say it's P. He's like, "It's T Rex." It it uh, scares off the little ones who attracts a really big one with a fin. So here he doesn't even know what the Spinosaurus is. 
And he's like, how did you get it? And it's like, you don't want to know. It's great. But yeah, especially the book stuff he's talking about. I mentioned this on the last episode uh, when defending, you know, the difference with Ian Malcolm's character where he says that, uh, um, you know, in this one, uh, Eric says to Grant, he's like, I read both of your books. I like the first one better. You know, before you were on the island, you actually liked dinosaurs then. And he was like, well, back then they hadn't tried to eat me yet. Uh, <laughs> it sort of helps to sell, I mentioned in the last episode, things that the Lost World introduced but didn't go far enough with. In this movie, I think with one line, you understand that a lot better. Uh, and it's also just Alan Grant's you know, whole demeanor is a little bit better than you know Ian Malcolm, who's kind of frantic. Uh, but then when they go into, it's like, did you read Malcolm's book? He goes, yeah. He's like, well... It was like, I don't know. It's like, it seemed kind of preachy. Everything was chaos. The guy seemed really high on himself. He's like, well, that's two things we have in common. Like, <laughs> you would just know that Grant's just, he totally has that feud with Ian Malcolm still to this day. Uh, such a great scene. Uh, plus, I just want to say in this scene here, the water truck, like you said, the little hideout's cool. And it doesn't matter how old you are. You kind of, like when you're a kid, this is what you imagine. I always would think when I was a kid, if I'm stuck on an island, you know, running from talking cows or something like that, you know, <laughs> where would I want to hide? You imagine, you, you look down the road and you see maybe like a water truck or something. Like, if this thing was tipped over, it would be cool to set up a little house in there. I think that's something that maybe kids would really appreciate watching this movie. But I just have to say how much product placement where works. I can't tell you how many cans of chili and Nestle Crunch bars I bought after this movie came out. Because like I said, I saw it six times. And every time when I watch this scene, I'm like, man, I want to eat some chili right out of the can. And then I would buy Nestle Crunch bars, I swear, every time mm. I came home from this movie. it's I don't know how the combo would be together because I never ate them together. But it always made me hungry for those things. But yeah, uh, I, I mean, everything about this scene's great. I just love the chemistry they have together. I love watching Grant interact with a kid that's a little older because he doesn't interact with them like he's a kid in any way. Uh, the compies come out, so that's basically the only thing we're going to have with compies uh, at this point. Um, we'll get cover a couple other scenes here, um, I guess, before we get to the bird stuff. Um, the the whole not-your-fault scene, so when the Kirbys are you know hiding out in the tree overnight... And they're talking about not being your fault. And here's where Amanda goes into her whole, oh, this never would have happened with you. You drive five miles under the speed limit, and I've totaled three cars in three years. And I'll pull going, well, not really three. The Buick wasn't total. I just said that so I could get the SUV. <laughs> total married couple here. Uh, in the morning when they come out, uh, Grant spots the boat. And uh, the one thing that does bother me about Eric is all of a sudden it's like, rescue boat? Like, he's been living here. He has seen this boat every day for the last eight weeks. He's like, it's a rescue boat. We're saved. Uh, but the, this is the other line I really want to talk about here, which is the extinction plot. Because this movie had two titles that they had, I guess, uh, actually trademarked when they were making this movie. One was Jurassic Park Breakout, and the other one was Jurassic Park Extinction. Now, Extinction is the one that was most well-known, that this was supposed to be called Jurassic Park Extinction or even Jurassic Park 3 Extinction. And there's the line here where uh, in the morning, the Kirbys and Billy are talking about, well, where should we go? And Billy's like, well, Grant's idea was to go to the coast. And there's kind of that weird look that Billy gives where it's like, oh, yeah, all, all the most dangerous uh, ones would be in the center of the island. And Billy's like, yeah, like really suspicious. And then there's right after that, the scene with Grant saying, oh, we're going to go to the coast. And Eric's like, are you sure? The closer you get to water, the bigger the dinosaurs get. 
And again, it's just like that scene earlier on about what else is on InGen's list. It's still in the movie, but it was obviously one of the things they cut in the middle of filming when they were still working on the script, you know, two weeks into filming. Because that was the original plot was that the Spinosaurus uh, was slowly forcing all the other animals. Like it, it was working its way from the interior outside and just everything was being killed off by the Spinosaurus. And then you add to that the whole idea that once these these big dinosaurs eventually have eaten through everything on the island, these massive predators, there's nothing left. The only place they can go is the mainland. So mm. that kind of gives you an idea on where the movie was going to go. But it, it's, again, just bizarre that they included that line in there when they don't go anywhere with it in the movie. But you'll, you'll probably, I don't know if you'll have anything on that theory later on. No, not really. I mean, that's one that kind of, yeah. I haven't read a whole lot more extra on but um yeah i mean i knew i knew about the titles um which i think wasn't extinction pretty much used right up until the last minute um it was probably at least while they were still filming yeah yeah um but yeah i i'm glad you said about the rest i've written that down here stupid eric rescue boat like jesus (laughs) christ um i love love grant's line the way he's just like no but it floats (laughs) <laughs> um, I, I like, um, just when Amanda's talking about, I've totaled three cars in three years. Like, Jesus Christ, what a bad driver this woman is. Like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like I've never totaled a car in my life. Like, holy crap. I, I'm definitely, uh, William H. Macy in this movie. Five kilometers under the speed limit. Um, I was going to ask that if, if you're, if you're an Amanda or if you're a Paul. Oh, I'm, I'm a Paul. Like, I, I've never I'm got a speed totally in my life. I've never, like, I, to me, there's no foreseeable excuse for speeding. Don't get me started on this. Everyone goes off at me for this. Um, I've never gotten a speeding ticket. You knew that. Uh, (laughs) I think Mallory's about to break up with me in the background. Oh my God, I'm with someone who's never got a speeding ticket? Ew. Um, but I think, um, the one thing, like, we, we touched in the first one about how, you know, it's kind of got romance without it being romance. The second one's got romance without it being romance. This one kind of extends it a little bit more, but it's it's still done in a way that's... Like, there are a few scenes here with these two. Like, you don't really need this as a side plot. Like, okay, great, these divorced couple are getting back together. Yay, go team. But I don't know. There's just something about it which is a bit cheesy, but it's not to the extent of when we get to Jurassic World where you've got two people who literally hate each other who some reason make out at the end. So, yeah, um, yeah there's that. But anyway, uh, I don't know where I was going with that. Move on. Uh, I just saw a picture you sent me here. That one's definitely a different Trevor Morgan. Cause, well, that's still uh, Noah, whoever that is. <laughs> yeah, this guy is Noah. But it's funny because when we were watching the Blu-ray, uh, Trevor Morgan, as of at least 2011, when the Blu-ray set came out, so he would have been, what, like 23, 24? Jamie was a big fan of his uh, oh. every time he came on the screen. And she loves Sam Neill as well. But, like, yeah, she So, wait, she, hang on, hang was, on, hang on, back... Back up. Jamie's a fan of Trevor Morgan in this film as a 12-year-old? No, 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 no. In the Blu-ray. When she watched <laughs> oh, the Blu-ray, Trevor God. Morgan. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm the so Trevor Morgan pedophile on this podcast, Jamie, not you. Right. Exactly, yeah. 23, 24-year-old Trevor Morgan. Uh, she was definitely a bigger fan of, but you don't see him much anymore. But uh, a couple last moments to cover here before we get to the bird part. Um, so... The here, the, the, here's the one moment where I cannot come up with a defense of this, other than just to say it's fun. Not everything has to make sense in a movie like this. Uh, they hear the Kirby Paint and Towel Plus in <laughs> Westgate jingle. 
and they come running. So they're hearing this from I don't know, like a hundred meters away. Let's say in the in the jungle, they come out. They see their parents on the other side of the fence. Now, for one thing, it's funny that the way they embrace that they hug through the fence, the family. And Alan sees Billy, and they shake. They have a firm handshake through the fence. <laughs> now, why really? these right. two guys are not like maybe they could have the hug or something like that, but. Instead, they why do they feel the need to shake hands? Like I always found handshakes to be weird. Like if you're meeting somebody, it makes sense. Or if you're, you know, oh, thank you for your time. But these are two guys. They work together every day. Hello, Billy. How's your night been? Mine's been good. What is some copies? Ate some chili. Oh, okay. We lost your desky back there. All right. Firm handshake. I don't understand it. But then comes the weirdest thing. Now you want to talk about Alan? I can defend that. This makes no sense. The ringtone, they're like, how did you know we're here? Oh, the stupid jingle from your phone. I don't have my phone. What, where's your phone? I lent it to Cooper on the plane. And everybody turns it around, and there's a Spinosaurus, which not only did they not hear sneak up on them, but from inside its lower intestines, <laughs> because we know how when it's going to digest this, you hear the ringtone clear as day. Uh, everybody makes a runway. It's just a quick little moment leading them into the birdcage or whatever, but cannot defend that at all. Um, we're not going to have a big debate on this other than the fact that I'll just say regardless of the fact that it makes no sense it's still a fun little scene I, I like the fact that they're just standing there staring at them like going hello people I'm yeah. back <laughs> um, like yeah I, I agree like it's so over the top like it's it's very Jaws of Revenge like hey I found you Yeah. Um, but I mean it does one thing I will say though it does lead to a very tense scene later on uh, which I remember mm. kind of being a bit like freaky later on in the movie, but um, and why is there a fence? Like, did we not go back to Site B in the Lost World? Like, no fences, they're all free. Like, why have the Ingen yeah. on this side of the island decided to build a fence? Um, which is useless. Can we just point out because the Spinosaurus just bombs through it? Um, so yeah, it's I just again I just love the fact that you've literally got a scene of a dinosaur staring these people down, like going, "Bitches, come on, let's bring it." <laughs> and, and let's let's have it get better here now we're going to cover a huge chunk of the movie here and probably the biggest action scene but before we get there the spinosaurus had just crashed through the fence then comes up against a metal door that's double bolted <laughs> that it cannot break through apparently <laughs> again spinosaurus a dumb dinosaur it's a cool dinosaur but it's yeah. a dumb dinosaur <laughs> It's like, oh, I can total this. Oh, I just heard the snap of the deadbolt. Oh, I always miss it. Oh, oh, now they got the chain on. Oh, I can't break the chain. Oh, I'm going to break a nail. I just got them done. Uh, but I like the, the scene here between... Now, now, you said, why does Billy need to be in this movie? Billy actually has something, like, more than Grant has in this movie... Uh, the thing with stealing the eggs here, where all of a sudden he's like, Ellen, can I have my bag? And it's like, please give me back the bag. And when he opens it up, it's got the eggs in there. Um, and Grant, you know, kind of loses temper with him, gets a little bit over dramatic. As far as I'm concerned, you're no better than the people who built this place. And uh, this is why I think him dying maybe would have been a little bit too dark for this movie. Because I think you do need this subplot. Like, you have to address something about what if you got back on this island, you know? In the Lost World, they want to take the dinosaurs. Now, what Billy intended to do with raptor eggs on the mainland, like who he was going to sell these to, I don't know, because he knows how dangerous they are more than anybody. 
but at least it gives them something like we have to get something out of this trip. You know, we're all going to be out of the job in three weeks still. And now we're wasting one of those weeks stuck on this island. Uh, but, uh, you know, following this, they figure the way out to get down the river. They start. Now, this is my favorite. part. Like you talk about your favorite sequence being the plane. And I think there's three really great sequences here. This is my favorite one, though, the birdcage thing, everything in the aviary, because the way that it's paced, and again, for a movie that is so fast-paced, to have this much patience to build the tension, as they do here, it's it, it goes against everything else in this movie. Uh, you know, We have the fog, the, the music that slowly builds, and for the first time not having John Williams, I mean, this is a completely different score, but in some ways I feel like at least the tension music builds better than what we had in the first two. Uh, overall, it's not as good as the first two for the like the action music and everything, but like uh, everything that happens here with the fog and just how slow the characters are moving, uh, the fact that they you know cross this very rickety bridge, you know you get Alan going first and then Mrs. Kirby's next. That I love when she turns around and she's like, "This is why I love Eric." I'm not gonna say love Eric, but why I think Eric's a better character to give him credit for when she's like, "Okay, Eric, I'm just gonna be a few steps ahead of you. You're gonna come right after." He goes, "Mom." I survived eight weeks in a water truck by myself. I think I can stand the next two minutes without you. <laughs> Which is like every 12-year-old, what they want to say to their overly protective mom. Uh, but then she crosses or whatever, and uh, you know, as as he's coming, you hear that clicking, and then you see the reveal of the trainer, just back and forth. It's like, it's a birdcage. For what? And then you see the reveal through the fog, and just grabs Eric, and everything that happens here is just perfect. Like, for a movie that they rewrote at the last minute, I'm glad that obviously these sequences, you mentioned $18 million was spent already on sets and props and everything. And you can tell that they just basically said, let's just write this whole movie around the plane crash, the boat, and the birdcage, because that's what we already have built. And obviously it shows that they had a lot of time they put into this. Because the littlest details of this, like uh, when... Eric lands when the Tyrannodon drops him and you have the baby. This is where the human skull is there. They wonder, well, mm. if InGen evacuated immediately the hurricane, you know, who are the pool, poor souls that got left behind? Or this could be like Dieter. Like, you know, the, the compies <laughs> ate half of them and then the Tyrannodon sure. picked him up and brought it back to the cage. This could be sure. any of could the be Eddie. in the Lost World. This is Eddie, yeah. Show some respect, <laughs> Ben. Man Show some respect to Eddie's skull. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, it's Enrique, because they killed uh, him in the opening on the boat scene, so it's clearly Enrique. Ah, and the bodies weren't there. You're right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, yeah, oh, I also want to mention, outside of this, when Alan decides to keep the eggs, and uh, a dramatic moment that they didn't have to include in the trailer, but just how good Sam Neill is at delivering these lines, where they're like, oh, uh, those things know that we have them. And, and again, it makes logical sense. If you stole the eggs, and the re- we established in the second movie that these animals are very protective over their infants, they're not going to kill you. That's why the raptors have just been chasing them and setting the traps and not killing them, because like we got to get these eggs back. So then when uh, Paul's like, what if they catch us with them? And Alan's like, what if they catch us without them? And that's mm. one of the things that I think really makes that last scene that I know a lot of people are critical on what I love about it. But yeah, the little things in this where where they're in the cage tunnel, I guess you would call it, and it crashes down and the Tyrannodon gets trapped in the water as they swim out. Uh, the little one's pecking at Eric's face. Uh, Billy's heroic moment, like probably one of the best shots and moments of the whole movie is where 
the music just builds up and Billy jumps on the ledge and Alan's like, hey, Billy, Billy, no. And he clips the thing on and jumps off there. Like, I love that shot. I love Billy soaring through the air, uh, you know, picking up Eric and everything. This sequence is just incredible. You get Billy stuck on the rocks. And he goes, wham, right on the rocks. And I like um, sound effects there. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's Billy. You know, I I clipped on this parasail that uh, may have had holes in it, may not have flown, and a man died in a day earlier. And I jumped off because there was a little boy who needs saving, and then I wham, I hit the rocks. I thought you were just very over eager about 1980s George Michael or something. <laughs> no, de- definitely not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you think he's eaten here. Uh, they they have that revealing shot of the cage being open. This is why I have a hard time believing that there were pteranodons early in the movie, and it kind of ruins that last moment. Of, usually, you would think when a sequel contradicts the previous movie, it's like, well, the sequel got it wrong. But because I hate that last shot of the Lost World so much, with all the herbivores and carnivores living in peace and harmony and smiling and high fiving and whatever they're doing, uh, <laughs> the fact that we see the pteranodons there. Obviously, there are some that are out, but maybe these ones get... But just the, they really dwell on that open shot of the cage that we're going to get there. Uh, I'll just include the boat scene after this, um, everything up until uh, the end here. So once they get out of the cage, my favorite sequence of the movie, again, if I haven't said it already, they're on the boat, and um, this is where they have the conversation, which I think I've mentioned in half of the episodes we've done on the Oz Network, not just the Jurassic Park ones. The great conversation between Eric and Alan where uh, they're talking about, oh, I'm sorry about Billy. And he says, you know, I have the theory about two types of boys. Those who want to be astronomers and those who want to be astronauts. You know, the astronomer gets to study all this, you know, incredible stuff from the safety of their home. But then they don't get to go into space. And Billy just, he wanted to go into space. And I, I just, I really love that scene. Those are the types of dialogue scenes that, you know, when they brought on the guys who wrote Sideways and election and about schmidt and nebraska and all that that this is probably what they were doing because it is a really good dialogue scene for a movie that is just dumb action there's some great dialogue in here and this is one of my favorite scenes in all jurassic park movies and then you get the whole you know what billy was right and you get the one nice shot of all the dinosaurs you don't like this or was that a good no no i like everything you said but i hate that line by eric and i'll get to that in a minute never mind billy was right I what I hate line. is that you have this great shot of all the dinosaurs. You get the Ankylosaurus, which is one of my favorite dinosaurs. But then you get the Brachiosaurus that slowly lowers his head. And I swear, it's like the only way you would end that would be like it smiles and then it winks at the camera. It just looks too <laughs> cheesy. <laughs> Hello, Alan. <laughs> Wink. Alan. Uh, <laughs> Alan. Submissive <laughs> uh, delight. Quickly Alan. Uh, you know what? I'll stop there. We'll we'll cover everything else after this. So uh, all the birdcage stuff and then the boat scene. Just quickly, I think Alan's wrong. He says like, oh, there's two types of people. There's the astronomer and there's the uh, astronaut. There's a third type of person. There's um, Sarah from the last movie who is bored of being the astronomer and decides halfway through, oh, yeah. I'm bored of sitting around an office. I want to go see real things. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't have been a paleontologist, you idiot. Um, yeah. There's no, there's absolutely nothing to not like about the Avery stuff. I mean, this is really a long time coming. Uh, this is basically a huge scene in the the book from the first Jurassic Park, and then ultimately you were meant to have uh, these being part of the plot in the Lost World, but they cut them at the last minute too. So uh, it's kind of like third time lucky we finally got it, and 
I mean, I think even the line at the birdcage is from the original Jurassic Park novel, I think, when they're kind of Lex, Tim and Alan are on the barge going into the cage. Uh, I think that was a, a thing that was based on that. So, yeah, I mean, it's great. I mean, I've talked so much about how much I love fog, so I love kind of just the <laughs> setting of this Avery and just kind of everything in it, and it's just so great. Um I just backtracking to, you know, you're no uh, better than the people who built this place line. <laughs> Can I just point out, Billy looks so sad when he says that. <laughs> like, Billy's yeah. like, oh, no, well, that's too low, And what low, makes it worse Alan. is <laughs> just before they start crossing the, the fog bridge, Alan gives him, like, another dirty look, which I never noticed until yeah. I watched it this most recent time. And Billy, again, is just like, I, I, I totally ruined my relationship with my hero. <laughs> It's like the blowing scene earlier on. There's clearly a lot more to that when he's closing his eyes and blowing the thing. But this is this is where I think that Billy needed to die because it's kind of a trend in Jurassic Park mm. that you've got a character who is consumed by greed um, ultimately pay the price. You know, we had that with Nedry, we had that with Ludlow, and I feel that you needed to have that with Billy. Um, yeah, but and- we also said it shouldn't have happened with Ludlow. Well, I mean, you know, save Ludlow. Hashtag save Ludlow, everyone. <laughs> like, that's biggest injustice in all of Jurassic Park. Um, but I, like, I love the, the tension when they're going across the bridge and you kind of hear that thud as like Eric's walking yeah. across it and then you see just that reveal too of it. Is, is it a pterodon or a pterodactyl or are they the same bloody thing? I don't know what dinosaur is that. I think, I'm pretty sure like it's one of these things where, you know, pterodactyl would speak of like an entire species you know subspecies or whatever and pteranodon is like you know like a dog or a poodle you know right okay it's like a breed of pterodactyl yeah um so when we get to the next movie what the hell are those little weird ones in the next anyway we'll yeah get those to- ones were something <laughs> different they had piranha anyway. teeth <laughs> yeah they, they look like to me they always look like t-rex heads on like a pteranodon but um yeah, so, I mean, this whole sequence is great, and, like, I agree with you, like, the music bit when he's jumping off, like, don't, Billy! And he, like, jumps off the yeah. thing. Um, I do like the, uh, the Everything Wrong With video where they kind of edit, like, other movies into this, and they, that bit where they're like, don't, Billy! They edit the bit from the cable guy when he's like, oh, Billy! Um, it's <laughs> kind of funny. Um, just quickly on the music, can I just point out, because it's like Don Davis, isn't it? And John Williams, and, yeah. like, to me, it's very, like, I like Don Davis's score from The Matrix. Um, and I think, like, he does great work in all three of The Matrix movies. But, like, you can really hear that Matrix style of, like, I, as I said, I, like, I listened to all of these soundtracks the other day while I was, I think I was applying for jobs. So I just put all the Jurassic Park scores on in the background. And you really do hear that difference when it comes to Jurassic Park 3. And, like, that real, like, element of Matrix style with it. Which, I mean, it works in some of it. Like, so far out of all the movies, this is the least memorable score. Um, yeah. And I think even Jurassic World has scores that you remember. I don't think you remember any Jurassic Park 3 scores. Um, so, it's the least memorable out of all four movies so far. But, um, yeah, I, 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 I am on the notion they could should have killed Billy here. That's just my opinion. Um, they're not going to kill Eric, yeah. sadly. Um, but yeah, I know I like the, the, like the dialogue, but like, I, I agree. Like I like it, but I just, that's that line with, you know, Dr. Grant, Billy was right. Like the thing that annoyed me about Eric in this is like Billy and Eric have met for like the first time at the fence. Then they're running away from the Spinosaurus. They didn't even meet. Then literally, I don't even know if they meet, but. 
But then literally, maybe their first introduction is when Billy saves him. So then when Billy's like getting pecked to death and Eric's trying to run after him, no, mum, I want to save Billy. You just met him. <laughs> like, you know, well, you're not clinging to the-, the Navy SEALs five minutes later who rescue on the beach. No, <laughs> mum, I want to sit next to Sergeant Johnson. Like, it's like it's no, can, can you imagine, like, the converse? Here's the deleted scene that they never got around to filming uh, because they didn't have the script finished in time. Billy saves him, and as they're floating towards the ground, they quickly cut away. And that entire time, it's like, hi, I'm Billy. Hey, I'm Eric. How long have you been on the island? Eight weeks? How long you work with Dr. Grant? Ah, oh, two years. Are you a paid intern? Yeah. Decent money. I can't buy a new bag, though. Want to hear about this time in New Zealand? And they have this whole conversation where they establish this relationship with each other. Oh, that's a cool story, bro. Want to hear about the time I got some T-Rex pee? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> We're best friends. Did we just become best friends? Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite dinosaur? Velociraptor. Did we just become best friends? <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a great deleted scene. But like, this is the scene when he's, the bit when he says, you know, Dr. Grant, I think Billy was right. Right about what? Like becoming an astronaut? Are you just basically saying well, that Dr. Grant's wrong? Like, I yeah, don't exactly. get that scene. A great scene, but yeah, you're right. There's no right or wrong answer to that. That's the whole point of the scene. I just don't understand it. But like another thing too, that can we just establish that how lucky are they that as they're rolling down the river, rolling down the river, like as they go past this field, again, it's a field of herbivores. What if this was like the Spinosaur family reunion mixed with the raptors next door? Like, where's the tension in that scene? Like, you know, Dr. Grant, I think they were right. It's a Spinosaurus, like, eats Eric. Um, and like, mm-hmm. out of all the special effects in all the Jurassic Park films, this is the one that really, like, that Brachiosaurus looks like it's on crack or something. Like, it looks wrong. Oh, yeah. Like, there's something weird yeah. looking about that Brachiosaurus. <laughs> it's got like a red head, like it's got sunburn or something like that. Um, but I think that there was also a random scene, which I think it was earlier in the movie, like, t- the weird editing in this movie, like a transition scene where you have the Ankylosaurus just walking along, like, as a yeah. cut between, like, t- like, it's so weird, like, it just, it doesn't fit the movie, like, what, where's this coming from? So, um, but I, I like it when we get dinosaurs and we haven't really seen them, but at the same time, it's like, that Brachiosaurus is fucked up, man, I don't know what's wrong with it. <laughs> I almost wanted to say, uh, Alan, can you pass me the SPF 30? I'm sunburned. Uh, we'll wrap up the movie here because this just, this is going to go very quickly from this point on, but it actually is a lot of stuff that happens here. So they come across, in the middle of the night, they come across some dino droppings. Dropping. Dropping. And what do they hear coming from inside the dino droppings? Kirby Paint Plus in West Which is freaky. Can I just say that freaked me out in the movies? Because like yeah. you were waiting for like you know You're it's waiting in there for somewhere. Spinosaurus. Yeah. Yeah. Um and what I do find funny is they all immediately jump off the boat and then they say, Eric, stay on the boat. Eric doesn't touch anything, and suddenly the boat comes to a grinding halt. So like <laughs> Are there brakes on boats? Like, I'm pretty sure you would have to shut the engine off. And even then, you're still going to be drifting based just on momentum. But the boat literally just stops in the middle of the river. Uh, but, yeah, they, they all dig through dino droppings here, and they start pulling out bones. I think this was uh, Nash. I think this watch was Cooper's. These sunglasses might have been you. Uh, I think this was, too. Yeah. Uh, this is Ben's. <laughs> Um, That's Ben's penis. 
<laughs> There's another. The phone they pick up is actually Enrique. Enrique. <laughs> well, I like it when he answers the phone, and it's like, you know, have you thought about having a timeshare in Guadalajara? Yeah. Like, I just want them yeah, to they, like they hit that. Is Enrique? Enrique. Yeah. <laughs> uh. But right after this, they quickly see a ceratosaurus, which was another moment where it's like it's brief, but it gives you like kind of a scare. Uh, and then we we start winding down. The, I, I guess you would consider this the big climax of the movie, like the the, the main action sequence. Uh, one of the three ones that I think just really hold up and uh, hold this whole movie together. Uh, so they're on the river. It's raining. They mention, oh, we have enough juice for maybe one call. But again, he's like, don't call our embassy. You know what this kind of reminded me of? I'm sure everybody knows. Like, I bet you Grant could have called the embassy and they were, you've got how many people loose on the island and you're that close to shore? Well, that's not hard. Like, you're Dr. Bo- Grant. We'll rescue you. Not some weird, yeah, well, tall plus guy's kid. Yeah. <laughs> but you, everybody knows these people where they have one bad experience with a company and all of a sudden, oh, don't ever use that company. I had one time where I ate at McDonald's and they didn't give me enough ketchup. And they're like, everybody boycott this company because I, the most important person on the planet, had one bad experience. That's kind of what Kirby reminds me of. He's like, our embassy wouldn't do this. No, don't call the embassy. Don't call the White House. They don't help anybody because he probably called them and they're like, you know, you know what? Um, we here at the embassy needed to do a job on paint and tiles in our unisex bathroom, and <laughs> you charge us 10% above industry standard. So they just, like, <laughs> totally snubbed him here. But I, I just he's always, don't call the embassy. Um, so he already knows who he's going to call. Uh, there's the, the really cool shot, too, of the Spinosaurus fin just coming out of the mm. water. Uh, and... One thing I do find again a little questionable is, uh, can we look like geographically on a map here? Uh, Costa Rica, what time zone would that be in? Oh, yeah. So, um, I think it's central time zone. Yeah, this is a, a thing of how it's like light where Ellie is and it's dark on the yeah. island. Yeah. 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 Now let's Ellie's assume, in like, Washington. I think she's in DC because just to backtrack, when Grant was driving away from Ellie, I had to look at the number plate, and it's a Washington DC number plate. So I think she's meant to be in DC. So Costa Rica would be one hour behind maximum, <laughs> and it's pitch black here, and it's broad daylight, and her son's already up. Now I've got a two-year-old that wakes up at five thirty in the morning sometimes. It just feels like it. Uh, but this is clearly brought, Barney's already on. I mean, this is, this is seven, eight in the morning. Who knows? But yeah, I don't know. It's just some weird time travel thing going on here with their phone calls. But, uh, that's just a minor, minor complaint here. Uh, I love, they're basically getting attacked here. They're both getting attacked by the, um, the, the Spinosaurus or whatever. It's the dinosaur man. Put your mom on the phone. <laughs> and again, like this should be so comically bad, but like Charlie's great. And it actually makes for a really intense scene as they're, as they're being attacked. And you you would think you have the biggest action sequence of the movie. You have the Spinosaurus trapping them. They're in this cage. They're in a sinking boat. There's fuel leaking. Like, there's so much stuff going on. The Spinosaurus claws are literally coming through, ripping Amanda's shirt off. And, you know, uh, she's bleeding through this. And then you cut back to a kid who's got a phone in one hand. And he stops because Barney the purple dinosaur. Like, and he starts <laughs> jumping up. 
I'm dying. Hey, kids. But like, I can't explain. How does that scene work so well with it? In some ways, it actually makes it it makes it more tense, but it's hilarious. And then eventually, when he hands the phone, she was like, "It's the dinosaur man." I love Ellie when she gets the It is. Hey, Alan. Really. Uh, yeah, and then and she's like, Alan, are you on a cell phone? I can't hear you. And he's just going, the river! Send me! And then the line just goes dead. Now, how she knows to send it, like, he didn't say anything. He could have just been really excited. What if, like, he had the river! Send me! It's so beautiful! You should see it right now! And meanwhile, she's sending, like, millions of dollars to send the Navy and the Marines, and meanwhile, he was just commenting on, the sunrise here, only one hour behind you, is it spectacular! He could be, like, pissed with Malcolm out in the town, <laughs> yeah. like, going, the river! The river's so pretty! Tell him, Malcolm! <laughs> like, he's Ellie wasting all this money on sending, like, the Marines <laughs> and Navy to Site B. Like, she brings up Alan, like, the next day, Alan, where are you? Oh, I'm just in Montana, where are you? It's like, I sent the Navy and the Marines to Site B! Oh, what? I was just pissed with Malcolm last night, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> You'll pay for this, Dr. Grant. <laughs> and I accepted a collect call from you, too. That's on my bill. <laughs> that was Charlie. Charlie, did you accept a collect call from Costa Rica? No. <laughs> it's the dinosaur man. I accept. $500, he does. <laughs> I'm Did gonna they take this take up a collect call part. from the east, from the states. Hi, Prime <laughs> Minister. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, but seriously, the rest of the sequence is really good. I also love after uh, she panics at like, the Riverside B, and the call beep 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 beep, and then it cuts to Charlie. Rah! Yeah. <laughs> Charlie is awesome. <laughs> and that's totally oh. Casper too. Like I have put, like he has a few dinosaur toys. He has two, really. He has one that's a Stegosaurus because one day he was really sick, and uh, Jamie, you know, texted me at work and said, "Oh, I wanted to buy this because Casper really loved it in the store, but I didn't. It was a Stegosaurus, like his giant Stegosaurus." So I picked up on the way home, and it was probably the most excited I've ever seen him. The other thing he has, like, is a little Parasaurolophus uh, toy. Uh, which is, you know, Elvis the Pompadour, if <laughs> we remember the last one. And he yeah. just plays in the bath. So he knows what dinosaurs are, but he knows the sound effect is roar. He doesn't care about the, when the movie's on TV, but, like, when he sees a dinosaur, he will just immediately go, rawr, just like that. So that's that's my Casper moment there. He, he, I need to teach him about the herbivores and stuff like that so he can know herbivores <laughs> and carnivores and except collect calls and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So many things to teach him. The river! Side B! <laughs> and what if he gets the conversation just continue going, The River! Side B! Unix Systems! <laughs> and you're just mocking the everything. River. Like... <laughs> I finally know a Unix system! Lex was right! <laughs> oh, I so want that scene in the movie. And then, and then, and then Ellie has to go, Clever Grant. <laughs> <laughs> Enrique! 
Hey, Andrew, it's all your big sister. <laughs> and then there's, uh, Ian's just in the background, like, <laughs> lifting up the dinosaur skirts. <laughs> <laughs> And he comes Just all the Show some respect. He's drowning in a river. <laughs> He's drowning in the river. That's so <laughs> big. <laughs> uh, I completely forgot where I lost here. Uh, okay, so uh, Kirby swims off as everybody else is escaping. He cr- climbs up a crane. This is, again, such a great sequence and. Uh, something totally different than you get in a regular Jurassic Park movie. Way better than him just swinging off that crane doing gymnastics, which would have been amazing too. But this is slightly better. <laughs> Come All on. the fuel's leaking. You would have liked that. <laughs> William H. Macy going <laughs> for gymnastics. Hey, cool. you! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. He could pull it off. <laughs> That's what we were missing. Boss World. <laughs> But uh, Grant has his hero moment. He pops up. He uh, shoots the flare into the fuel. And uh, the Spinosaurus basically burns alive. It runs off into the woods, in all fairness. But I like, as somebody who likes burning things, I like that its flesh is still burning. As it's I thought you'd like that. The- <laughs> <laughs> ah, the Spinosaurus yes. on fire. <laughs> uh, we get the, the Paul, you jerk. He just... This is where he should be like, hey, show some respect. He just sacrifices his life to save yours. But she's like, Paul, you jerk. And he hasn't even seen her yet. Then he comes out. Now, this is a cheesy moment. But again, like, there's good cheesy moments where he's like, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> um, after this, you have to come call. out of the water and just be like, don't see Ben coming out of the water surviving. Oh, too soon. <laughs> <laughs> what if he was like, now that's why I learned to swim. he should should have like a real James Bond one line (laughs) that's why Michael Phelps and I are the same (laughs) the next morning they're having a nice family conversation about the time he went fishing and his boat went in the water and the tow truck driver got dragged in and wanted to knock his lights out and then he just says I miss fishing (laughs) Uh, here's something that kind of bothers me as they're quickly walking away we have another conversation between Eric and Grant, and Eric is like, uh, who was that lady we're trying to call? And Grant's like, oh, it's just some friend of mine. I owe her a lot. I, you should tell her. Now, he's read his books. Couldn't he just say, it's Ellie? And he'd be like, ah, oh, the one from the second book. When you were on the island with the dinosaurs, and you know she tried to set you up with the kids and all that. He should know who Ellie is, so why Grant's like, ah, just some woman. I I feel like everybody he knows who Ian Malcolm is like this kid would know, but anyways mm. they they eventually hear the ocean they start to run towards the ocean and then we get the standoff with the raptors now this is one of the other controversial moments where people think you have these huge sequences with the tridentons the spinosaurus in the river and then the movie's true you know finale is a standoff for eggs with raptors now I'll even admit the first time I saw this movie. I love the movie, but I was like, oh, not too crazy about that ending. The more I watched this, the more I liked it. And, and it's, again, just offering something different, that you have just this tense moment that's not about being chased or eaten. For a movie that is 90% people running and being eaten by dinosaurs, you get just this moment where the, the raptors are standing off, and I, I like that they assume that Amanda stole the eggs. <laughs> like They're just like, the woman did it! <laughs> Texas Raptors. Yeah, exactly. 
but it's like, give me the eggs. This sequence has really grown on me over the years. And you do kind of have to not view it. I feel like this is almost out of sequence. Because you get these movies where you have the big finale. And then it seems like everybody's safe. And then you have like the last moment. Like the James Bond movies are famous for this. Um, you know, from Russia with Love. There, there's the boat chase and then you know he blows up the barrels and everybody's burning and Colin's laughing and then you think the movie's over and just before it ends Rosa Klebb is back with her knife in her shoe and you have like one last sequencer uh, every James Bond movie has that it seems I feel like this scene maybe would have played better after they saw the people on the beach because it, it's it's more like you know just uh, uh, not what's the prologue what's the opposite of that epilogue epilogue this is like an epilogue scene yeah it's just it's supposed to be like the last thing just the little you know thing tacked on to the end but i still like it because i see what the point is of the scene and also just doing something different with the raptors now how he knows how to call for help i don't know because we had that moment earlier it's calling for help so we know how to call for help uh, I wonder what the translation was of the first time where he was simply blowing into it like Billy. It's like, that sounds like somebody having an orgasm because that's basically <laughs> the sound Billy made earlier. But I still think it's a great scene. Um, and after they finally get the eggs, they think something else is calling for help, so they run away. Uh, they come out, they see the one guy in the suit. <laughs> Ellie that's sent one guy. Idea. No. She sent the Navy and the Marines, you have to thank her now, and the guy with the megaphone, yeah, where it's like, that's a very bad idea. (laughs) Uh, They get onto the helicopter, you see Billy there, yeah, it's kind of cheap, but it's it's a funny, like, would it have been very effective if Billy died? I mean, they would have had to have rewritten the previous scene and had some type of closure between him and Alan, even if it's just like, you know, him saying, I'm sorry to Alan, or something like that, but it's totally worth it for the scene where... Billy's like, I rescued your hat. And he's like, well, that's the important thing, Billy. Because I, I feel like at this point, Alan Grant is like Indiana Jones. Like, he's not Alan Grant without his hat. So it's fun to have that. And then finally, they see the pteranodons as they're going away. And you can mention a little bit about uh, what the other scene was supposed to be for that. And they're saying, oh, they're probably just looking for a new place to nest. I dare them to nest in Enid, Oklahoma. <laughs> and then eventually they're like, let's go home. And uh, Eric has his big smile. Like, hey, my parents are back together. The end. Pteranodons escape. And we know very well because they're not looking for a new nesting ground because they're flying off over the ocean. They are on their way to San Diego right now to start eating people alive. Happy ending to a nice family movie, Jurassic Park 3. I just want it when she goes, I dare them to nest in Eden, Oklahoma. I want one of the pterodons to turn to the camera. Challenge accepted. And then it fades out to black. <laughs> like, the pterodons will return in Jurassic Park 4. <laughs> or they just go, Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda. Um, yeah, I mean, the whole, you covered most of it. I mean, I, it's, it's kind of you borrowing on elements of sort of boat sequences that we've had in the first two books. So we kind of, you know, have a bit of a boat sequence here. Uh, the fin coming through the water is fantastic and just everything about the side. And yeah, as you said, like it somehow works with like Charlie and everything happening in the background and Barney, like Barney shouldn't work. But that's just funny. Like, you know, Charlie jumping up and down to Barney. Um, but like, I don't understand how, like he goes, the river side B again, like, 
would Ellie not be calling her back again? Like, what? Are you sure, Alan? Like, site what? Hang on a minute. Like, and at what point does she know on site B to send? Like, does she ring up Malcolm then? Uh, hi, Malcolm. Uh, so when you're on site B a couple of years ago, whereabouts were you guys? Oh, the north side of the island. That must be where Grant is. Like, how does she know the exact part? Did the you river. That's, happen is there one river? River? Yes. Maybe. Is there one river on the entire island? Like, I mean, it's very, you know, it's like, I want her to be like, oh, more information, Alan. This is why we broke up. Yeah. You just can never tell me the right information. God. <laughs> Where's my sexy new husband? Um, but I love how Alan just, he's a fetish for flares. You know, we had it in the first movie. Here is in the yeah. third movie. I really hope that, um, I think there were some rumors that Alan, that Samuel was caught like caught was spotted filming during Fallen Kingdom, which I don't think it's true. But I really hope when Jurassic World Six comes along that we get the re- the revival, the revival, the reunion of Grant. I want Grant and Malcolm on screen again at some point before they wrap yes. up Jurassic Park. Like I want to see this again. You know, the original and and Ellie too. Shove them all in there. Um, but yeah, this is where the Spinosaurus is a. A dumb dinosaur. He just gets a bit of a burn on his leg and he runs away. Um, which it's kind of, it's a unique part of the Jurassic Park franchise, isn't it? This is kind of the one where there's no real resolution to the Spinosaurus. He just runs away. That's yeah. it. Like, yeah, this is where kind of like we always want to see it again, which I don't think we will. Who knows? I mean, there's the, the nod to it in Jurassic World with a skeleton, which I guess we'll talk to more next week. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't like that scene when he's talking about the boat because it just it's just random. Like it's it's just there. It's like we again. It's kind of similar to what I was saying about the the mercenaries in the beginning with the plane. Like you, you don't need it. I guess this film's so short that you can't take it out. But um, you know what are these like four minutes worth of scenes that they've taken out if they've left scenes like this in the film? Um, I will say I have nothing against the raptor bit here at the ending. Like, I I like the tension with it. I kind of like how they give the eggs back and the puppeteering, like, looks really cool the way they kind of drop it and the way he's, like, calling for help on the little, um, the thing, uh, which is really cool. The thing I just really despise about this ending is just how sudden it is and how, like, it just, it's dumb that you've got this guy standing on a beach, just happens to be at the right place at the right time, and out of nowhere, you've got like 50 of these aqua machines coming on the, the beach. You don't see the boats in the background when these guys standing there with a the megaphone. There's helicopters around somewhere. Like you just hear none of this and it just mm. appears out of nowhere. And then just the dumbness of Billy being alive. When, where did they not hear a helicopter rescuing him earlier on in the, like, how is Billy alive? And how do they well, get to him beforehand? Yeah, exactly, because the only person who's on shore at this point is the guy in the suit. Like, he parachuted in, picked up (laughs) Billy with his bare hands, carried him, and then physically (laughs) threw him into a helicopter that had not even landed yet. And, like, is he just, has he been standing on that beach for, like, a day? Like, any moment now they're going to come through those bushes. Any moment now. (laughs) I would have wrapped it to, like, eat him or something like that. But, I mean, there's... The two endings that I think... Well, there's two scenes here that were kind of scripted but never done. The first one with the Spinosaur is that um, Grant actually uses the resonating chamber to call for help there and the raptors attack the Spinosaur and that mm. basically 50 raptors come out of nowhere and, like, save the day. So that was initially what was meant to happen there, but they scrapped that one. 
And then, as I was mentioning before about the boat, how it was kind of discovered that it was the pterodons that attacked it, because kind of this sequence at the end before the helicopters come, this is where Grant discovers the boat, then all of a sudden discovers that, oh, shit, there are pterodons here, that they're outside of the Avery. And basically, this whole last sequence was meant to be pterodons attacking uh, helicopters, causing, like, one of them to crash. Then the helicopter was meant to take off without Grant. Grant jumps onto, like, a rope ladder, and then there's this, like, tense scene at the end where Grant's climbing a rope ladder and they've got to fight off this pterodon and then they fly off. So that was kind of initially what was meant to be the ending, but I think they wanted to go with a very similar ending to what happened in the first Jurassic Park, kind of a happy ending, um, and not have that. So, I mean, look, I I think that would have been very interesting to see that style of um, ending, and we kind of got them doing that with a helicopter in, the, in Jurassic World with the pterodon, so we kind of, again, got that scene eventually used anyway. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that would have made it a completely different ending. The, the one thing I don't like about the ending is the fact that we get these pterodons flying off, which kind of opens it to a sequel. And we obviously will talk about it with Jurassic World next week, the troubles that they had for 14 years coming up with another sequel for it. But, I mean, it's kind of, that's just gelled over, isn't it? Like, oh, well, there's pterodons flying off into the distance. Obviously, they just flew around a lap and then went back to the island or something like that. Because come Jurassic World, that's mm. never mentioned again. So, yeah, that's one thing which maybe I'm like, okay, that's a bit odd. But, um, yeah, it, it just it just ends too suddenly for me. It just I just don't like how it just ends that quickly and it's done. I mean, between this and Jurassic World, I think they're the two worst endings of any of the Jurassic Park. Well, I mean, Jurassic World's just got this weird cheesy kiss in a hangar. Uh, and then a cool T-Rex roaring yeah. over the island. But, I mean, yeah, this uh, this ending's just a bit, yeah, for me. I don't know. I think a T-Rex in San Diego uh, <laughs> uh, uh, taking out a boat full of people while it's locked in a cargo hold, uh, getting taken out with a dart, and uh, all the other nonsense we talked about last week, the 3 a.m. blockbuster video and all that, I would call that a lot worse <laughs> than this. No, I wouldn't. All right. Okay. <laughs> Um, so this movie, we'll talk, I guess, first about the reviews, because I don't know if there's any other way to touch on it. I mean, both this and The Lost World, neither of them were really that well received. Uh, there's kind of this impression that, like, The Lost World is better, I think, just because Steven Spielberg's name's attached to it. But even if you look at Rotten Tomatoes, Lost World has 53%. Jurassic Park 3 has 50%. So it's only slightly higher than Jurassic Park 3. Uh, and I definitely remember a time, not even immediately after this first came out, within the first few years this came out, where the audience response to this, like, I remember IMDb at one point, Jurassic Park 3 ranking higher than Lost World. So maybe Lost World's reputation's improved a little bit more than this over the years, but I think both of these, the reputations have improved slightly. Because you go, like, let's say 2005, 2006... I mean, Jurassic Park 2 and 3 are viewed as, like, terrible sequels. And now it's like, yeah, they're good for what they are. And I, I, we've said it so many times leading up to this. For what this movie is, it it works. And I think for the most part, the reviews, they all kind of say the same thing. Um, they're, they're criticizing the same thing. They're praising the same things. Uh, one here I just want to find. Um, <laughs> this one's pretty good. Uh, if, uh, uh, nope. Sorry, the bad script doesn't extend the same courtesies to the actors who are saddled with dialogue neither man or beast could respond to. I don't think that one's fair, because I think the dialogue's pretty good in this. Uh, Alan. A marked improvement over its immediate... Uh, yeah, Alan. 
A marked improvement over its immediate predecessor, this film works as fast and efficient thriller that offers a few great surprises along the way. This one I thought was good. More than half an hour shorter than The Lost World, so at least there's a lot less of it to suffer through. <laughs> Which I also mentioned last week, though, The Lost, like, people complain about the length of this. If you had never had that San Diego sequence in there, which was never supposed to be in the movie, The Lost World ends up being only 95 minutes. So I don't know if there's really that much more you could do with a Jurassic Park movie. Uh, Roger Ebert's the main one I want to talk about, because when this came out, it was kind of just mixed reviews. The, the positive reviews all said, hey, it's just a cheap popcorn movie. The negative reviews said, hey, it's just a cheap popcorn movie. I remember Roger Ebert, he had like a, his TV show still at this point. And he came out and said that it was the best blockbuster of the summer. Like, he absolutely loved this movie. Again, saying the same thing the negative review said. Said, it's just mindless entertainment. Uh, his full review here basically said, uh, it's, uh, all, all, it's not as awe-inspiring as the first film or as elaborate as the second, but it's a nice little thrill machine. He can't praise it for its art, but he must not neglect its craft. So... Kind of what we've been saying here. I mean, it's not art here, but it's very well executed for what they had here, especially with the, the action in it. Uh, box office, this also, much like The Lost World we talked about, you know, the assumption was biggest movie of all time is going to have a sequel and everybody's going to love it. I feel like The Lost World in 1997 is kind of where Avatar 2 is going to be. By the time it actually comes out, nobody really has expectations of this being anything big. You know, Avatar 2 could completely flop because... The, the appeal's just sort of not there four years later, or, well, in the case of Avatar, like, ten years later, almost. But with Jurassic Park 3, even less so, because you had that four years removed in between the first and the second. The second one came out was huge, but nobody was really that crazy about it. Uh, I even remember thinking, well, Jurassic Park 3 is not going to be a huge hit. Uh, I want to mention the summer of 2001, just because it started off with Shrek coming out and being huge, and ended up being like the highest grossing movie this summer the mummy returns those are the two movies that kicked off the summer then you get into may june july where you have pearl harbor uh, <laughs> definitely not helping matters here the fast and the furious you know made a lot of money but i mean it's not uh not art itself tomb raider i'm dr doolittle 2 hey. these are the movies that preceded jurassic park 3 and I remember by the time it got to Jurassic Park 3, this is, again, very early and when I had the internet and you know you would see message boards and people would be speculating, oh, this is going to be the big movie of the year. And after all the disappointing movies that, that summer had had, it was basically, well, it's either Jurassic Park 3 or Planet of the Apes that's going to save the summer. Hmm. Um, pretty much everybody thought Planet of the Apes is going to be the bigger movie. Jurassic Park 3 comes out, opens with $50 million for the weekend. Uh, first weekend, it beat America's Sweethearts, which grossed $30 million. So that was a good weekend overall. Legally Blonde was in third, uh, its second weekend with $11 million. The Score, uh, great Robert De Niro, Edward Norton movie. I love that one. Cats and Dogs, Fast and the Furious, oh. uh, its fifth weekend. Just going on and on. But like, th there was so much disappointment that year with the movies that came out, outside of maybe The Mummy Returns and Shrek, that by the time Jurassic Park 3 came out, it was just an assumption nobody's going to want to see this. And aside from the $50 million opening weekend, which was just slightly lower than Jurassic Park 1's opening, uh, it actually opened on a Wednesday, which, especially at that point, that kills your weekend box office. But it had the highest grossing non-weekend opening of all time. It opened with almost $20 million in a single day. So I remember that even shocking me and being like, wow, what is it about Jurassic Park where people keep coming back to these movies, even if nobody really gets that excited about them? 
you know, a few months later, Planet of the Apes came out and opened with almost $70 million. But in the long run, Jurassic Park 3 still outgrossed it. So Jurassic Park 3 did good business week to week. You know, it, uh, the, the next weekend, obviously, it was killed by Planet of the Apes coming out. Uh, but then it holds on in its third week and fourth week. And in the end, actually outgrosses Planet of the Apes. Uh, ends up as the ninth highest grossing movie of the year behind Ocean's Eleven, Pearl Harbor, Mummy Returns, Rush Hour 2, Monsters, Inc., Shrek, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, and Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. So kind of a weird year that the summer movies are all but forgotten. But, uh, you know, overall, for for the box office, I mean, you could argue Jurassic Park 3 probably did better than most movies that year. Well, you got to think that, I mean, really, with the exception of The Lost World, I mean, every single Jurassic Park sequel has kind of defied expectations. I mean, God, we'll talk about that next week, how hmm. much that shocked everyone. But, um... Yeah, I mean, looking at that top 10 from 2001, I mean, take Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings out because they were just, I guess, you know, two movies that were always going to be huge based on what they were and ultimately went on to be huge franchises. But, I mean, Shrek, as you said, no one saw that coming. Monsters, Inc., well, I mean, it's a Pixar movie. I mean, that surely at the time would have been the most successful Pixar movie. Um, yeah. Rush Hour 2, I mean, the first one wasn't really that big uh, so the second one kind of really defied expectations you mentioned the moment returns and pearl harbor everyone hates that oceans 11 i mean that did its thing so i mean you know ninth best film of 2001 that's pretty good for a film mm-hmm. that generally is often hated so i think it's it's i mean it nearly made 200 million dollars domestically alone i mean it did uh overseas i mean what 368 million including overseas so that's Still pretty good, and it's, it's also very surprising then, and again, we'll talk about this next week, that it did take, uh, what, 14 years for them to make number four. So, um, I mean, it did, it did its, you know, it did what it needed to do. Uh, $93 million it cost to make as well, so it wasn't exactly that expensive to make. Uh, I mean, at the time, the most expensive Jurassic Park movie to make, but still, it's, it's done its, yeah. it's done its job, I think. And, you mentioned like the how long it took to get a sequel off the ground, but they were talking about a sequel right away after this. Uh, considering from Jurassic Park to Lost World, it was sort of, will we ever get a sequel made? Lost World to Jurassic Park 3, like you said, it sort of came out of nowhere. They're just, all right, we're finally going to do this. Immediately after this came out, you know, uh, Joe Johnson especially said, I want another crack at this. You know, He was happy with the product that came out, but he said, I'd like to actually be able to fully prep the movie, make sure we have enough time, not chase a release date, but actually release a movie when we're ready to. Uh, Sam Neill even was interested in coming back originally. Uh, Sam Neill, again, I remember for years people were like, well, Sam Neill didn't like Jurassic Park 3. But again, you look at recent interviews, and not only is he talking about you know how much fun it was to play Alan Grant again, but he even you know uh, is, has very high praise for Jurassic Park 3 as a movie, saying, like, I think it was a really good movie. Uh, everybody involved in the cast enjoyed working on the movie, but ultimately, like, we we never really found out what that Jurassic Park 4 with Joe Johns was supposed to be. There were a lot of different screenwriters attached on it. It was basically in development for about four or five years straight, and then probably around 2005, 2006, it just was done. And from that point on, it was like, well, there was always talk about Jurassic Park 4 coming out. But the, the only things I can specifically remember, and these, again, were probably all rumors, uh, were that, that one point it was going to be it was going to be the entire cast back. Most of the talk was that they were going to have Lex as the main character and that Kira Knightley, who was big with like Pirates of the Caribbean and everything at the time, was going to be signed on. But then, of course, there was, and whether or not this is one of the ones that Joe Johnston worked on or not, um, but one of the last drafts, had the infamous dinosaur with a gun, <laughs> which of course is 
one of the things they sort of handled a little differently in Jurassic World, but the idea that they would eventually just keep breeding these things to be weapons and that you would cross it with a human. And it was confirmed that this uh, image that was released of a dinosaur with a gun <laughs> was in one of those Jurassic Park 4 movies in development. Any other ones that you remember? Uh, no, that just haunted me forever. I just, I mean, I just remember mm. constantly looking this up, like when's it going to be happening? When's it going to be happening? And then there, uh, it did get, I think, as you mentioned, very close to being made. And I think it was around that because uh, every one of the it was kind of the, there was a four year gap, wasn't there, between every Jurassic yeah. Park? So 2005 was always kind of the one there, and I think. It was around then when I started reading about dinosaur soldiers. I'm like, God, I hope this doesn't happen. Um, so I, I think after a while, I mean, like most Jurassic Park fans just gave up on the notion. So when Jurassic World was announced, I remember just not being that excited. Like, of course, I was excited as a Jurassic Park movie. But I think kind of, we'll talk about this next week, I went into Jurassic World with incredibly low expectations. So based on all of this crap that happened in the 14 years between the two films... So for our final reviews on this one, I mean, it's it's no surprise where I'm going with this, because even though I can acknowledge the faults of this movie, uh, I rented The Lost World last week, which I probably would have bought had it not been for actually having to sit down and analyze the movie and realizing how many ridiculous plot holes there are. And I think the difference, and I even summed it up last week with uh, Lost World compared to this, is that when you go out of your way attempting to make a movie that is darker and more serious than the first, but it is more ludicrous and cartoony and dumb than the first one, that it just ruins it. Whereas if you make a movie like Jurassic Park 3 that is clearly, just by its tone, trying to just be a fun, slightly mindless entertainment movie, you can accept a lot of its mistakes more. Uh, but also this is just, I, I can never get sick of this movie, and I can't even count how many times I've watched it. It's probably... Uh, it's not nearly as much as the first one, but definitely a lot more than Lost World. And uh, I have no reason but to buy this because as, as much as I can acknowledge that it's not an amazing movie, I think that it's just so entertaining for what it is. So I'm buying it. I'm curious to see what you're going to do, though, because you are bipolar. You may have actually changed your opinion on this within the last three hours. The one thing I just want to quickly add, the fact that this was nominated for a Golden Raspberry for Worst Remake or Sequel, didn't win. Uh, the, the field that year... Uh, Sweet November, Pearl Harbor, Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles, and Planet of the Apes. Planet <laughs> of the Apes won, by the way. But that um, is the worst. Th yeah, that was by that was the year which uh, Freddie got fingered, got dominated all the categories. That and Glitter. So uh, there you go. Oh, Stella Warren won Worst Supporting Actress. Very warranted there. Um, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do. With this. I still don't know right now because. Again, I don't hate it. I don't love it. It's just kind of there. But, like, I mean, I I bought this as soon as it came out. Uh, I will always own this film. Um, you know, but then again, having said that, I love Star Wars and will always own The Last Jedi. So, yeah. <laughs> I just don't have to like it. Um, but, I mean, I'm not going to bin it. It's just, it's, it, uh, I'm tossing it up between a high rent and a low buy. But then it's going to be intriguing what I do next week as well, because, like, it's kind of like with Jurassic World, like, I seem to go down on that the more that time passes, but I still enjoy it. So, I feel whatever I do with this, I'm going to probably do exactly the same with Jurassic World, because no doubt when we rate these, like, in order, you know, from one to four, that this, to me, my top two are set. It's just kind of what I do with three and four. Um, but I'm going to buy it on the low scale, 
just because, as I said, this week with my bold bipolarness, I didn't dislike it as much. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's, if this wasn't, if this didn't have Jurassic Park attached to the title, I probably would just rent it. Um, but because it does, and because it brings back Grant, and it's got enough there, and I really enjoy the Spinosaurus, and, you know, it's interesting reading a lot of kind of the things that they're doing now to really put this into canon and kind of explain a lot of this. It, on a grand scheme of Jurassic Park, it makes a lot more sense. So, yeah, why not? Let's buy it. Yes. We recorded this on the right day. Uh, <laughs> now comes the interesting part. Jurassic World. So, we're up to the last one. And mm. this, of course, when this movie came out, again, not the highest expectations. A lot of people for nostalgia wanted to see it. Uh, they'd done the Jurassic Park 3D re-release in between. That kind of got people excited again. But... It came out and basically became the biggest opening movie. It was like Avengers, Star Wars level box office numbers. Um, and an entirely new generation of kids just became obsessed with us the way that our generation became obsessed with dinosaurs and everything. But it's weird that I don't really know many people who absolutely love the movie. Uh, it's one of these things where I think people love Jurassic Park enough that they love the movie. And I don't know where I am on this either. Uh, I will say... Uh, I'll probably, you know, mention more on this next week, but I saw, like, Jurassic Park 3 six times. For years while I was growing up, you know, especially if we I lived closer to a movie theater or something like that, and it took longer for movies to come out, I would see a lot of movies multiple times. You know, two, three, four times. Six times in this case. But for years, I think outside of Mission Impossible... Uh, I probably went for like five, six, seven years, uh, where with the exception of Mr. Impossible 3 and 4, I didn't see anything more than once. And yet Jurassic World was one of the first movies in years where I'm like, I want to watch this again a second time. And I went only days later. But yet I'm kind of with you. Every time I've seen this, it's gotten a little less impressive. And I've seen it twice since it's been out on Blu-ray. But both of those times are like very soon after it came out. So it's been two, two and a half years probably since I have seen this. And I, there were things that I really disliked about this movie even when I first saw it. So I could very well walk away from this being like, you know, Jurassic World is way better than the other movies. Or I could walk away from this saying it's not nearly as good as even The Lost World. So to, next week we're going to have to see. I have no clue what my opinion is. 2015 was a good year for us, wasn't it? We had a Star Wars, a Jurassic Park, and a James Bond movie. So, you know, yeah. that's, um, that's a, that's a good year. Um, yeah, it's, I, I walked out of this saying that was the best sequel they've ever done to Jurassic Park. Like, straight away. Um, and I, I, I can't remember if I saw this two or three times. I know I at least saw it twice. I might have seen it three times. Uh, because like, the first three Jurassic Parks, at least in their initial theatrical release, I only saw once. Because, I mean, the first one I was six and I had to rely on my parents. second one I was ten and I had to rely on my parents. And the third one I was 14 and got, like, $10 pocket money because my friends were ripping me off for transferring DVDs to video. So, you know, like, I've seen Jurassic Park again in the cinemas because of the 3D release. And I'm going to see it again in, like, a week before Fallen Kingdom comes out because they're re-releasing it here for one showing only. Um, so I saw this multiple times and I think probably since I've seen it in the movies, I've maybe watched it twice, you know, and like, as I said, I think a couple of weeks ago that I generally rewatched Jurassic Park films at least once a year. So, you know, I would have watched it, um, 2016 and 2017 and it, it just does diminish each time I watch it. It's got a lot of great stuff about it, but there are a lot of things about this film that really, I always have to question. I hadn't seen Chris Pratt in anything until I saw this movie, um... So I like Chris Pratt, 
Bryce Dallas, Texas. <laughs> um, you know, she's there. Um, and I think kind of a lot of this, like, to me, it's, it's interesting whether or not, you know, and we'll maybe talk about this, do we consider this a reboot or is it a sequel? Because, I mean, there's, yeah, it's a sequel. Of course it's a sequel. But at the same time, there's so much about this that just is completely feels so different from our original trilogy that we had. So, and they just go out of their way to literally shove nostalgia goggles in your face. Um, but yeah, I, I'm going to be intrigued to see how I feel about it when I watch it, because again, it is not a bad movie, but it's not a brilliant movie. And it's going to be interesting to kind of in the lead up to Fallen Kingdom. And I mean, is this going to be a case of The Force Awakens where, you know, I was very indifferent on The Force Awakens, but then when The Last Jedi came out, The Force Awakens became better. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so is this going to be the case that Jurassic World is going to become brilliant because Fallen Kingdom will suck? So, or it might be the opposite. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to talking about it, um, because it is just a very, and I'm looking forward to really finally getting to rip shit into the two little kids in this film, because they just yeah. suck. They suck. There's nothing redeeming about the children in this movie. Just, just no. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm intrigued to talk about Jurassic World. Yeah, I think that one of the kids is okay, one of them is terrible. I think we're both going to agree get on stuff, which one. Is- they both suck. <laughs> Ben, let's not get started on your opinion with children again, okay? <laughs> We've had a nice two weeks here. <laughs> uh, speaking of two weeks, we're only two weeks away from Fallen Kingdom as well, so get excited about that. The Jurassic World will be next week, and then we'll probably do our preview episode maybe a few days after that, but that's all going to be before Fallen Kingdom comes out. Uh, and then after that, we're going to move on to Mission Impossible. So lots of exciting stuff, uh, and... Uh, somehow we would you have a count on how long this episode is right now i've lost track uh we're about just over the three hour mark so yeah <laughs> i'm gonna say that this is like between jurassic park the lost world and jurassic park 3 this now officially has me terrified of doing anything star wars related <laughs> yeah. because if we can talk over well over three hours on a movie that is way less like less than even half of that imagine what we're going to do when we eventually get to star wars but uh well and, and, and- i i think we've always established that when we do star wars they're going to be in parts like i think there's it's no way we can avoid project it. yeah like with that like because i mean we we've talked about the fact that the reason why we didn't do it with the last jedi is because we thought like hey we'll save it for episode nine mm-hmm. so we'll do each of the episodes in the lead up to that now obviously if we, if we include solo and rogue one into that you know, we've got 10 films, so we legitimately might have to start recording them in about six months, Colin. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to just <laughs> take 12 months to record eight epi- uh, 10 episodes. I'll be down for that. Yeah. Uh, I- I'm scared of it now. So <laughs> I-, I legitimately <laughs> had a couple of times throughout the day, I'm like, do I want to quit the podcast or do I want to Star Wars <laughs> another year? <laughs> like, it's getting mighty close. <laughs> but we- we've been able to get through this, and then even though I'm not crazy about Jurassic World, we will be back to talk about that next week and it's still gonna be more exciting for me to talk about the most of the movie we've been covering uh so there's gonna be lots coming on with that as well as other movies tv shows are slowing down now but we're gonna keep so many movie stuff going on throughout the summer uh that um we're gonna be sick of talking about it and uh we're gonna have to just move on to the uh i don't know what other franchise with 2001 we'll do the, the disappointments of 2001 podcast with pearl harbor <laughs> And um, Dr. Doolittle 2 and all the other ones that Ben probably loves. 
I think we need to do another anniversary month, don't we? Like 2018, yeah. we need to do another, like a, a 10 year, a 20 year, a 30 year and a 40 year or something like that. I think I enjoyed that month. That was a good, yeah. that was a good month last year. That'll definitely, we'll probably just make that a September thing since there's basically nothing that comes out in September. We'll do that again this year. Uh, but, uh, so much movie stuff to come, but all Jurassic Park for now. And, uh, just as we leave here, uh, I just want to remind you, my name is Colin. And the tri- if the Tricycloplots attacks, don't come crying to me. And my name is Ben, and this is the end of the podcast. I bet my bottom dollar. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.